Hello you, welcome to episode number 33 of True Cult Pop. It's your favourite music podcast. It's actually your favourite one. I don't know if you knew it was, but I've made that decision for you. It's your favourite music podcast. It's me, Stephen Hill. I hope you're good. Looking forward to this show. It's a packed show. We're going to be orienteering through the woods, Billy Woods that is, with Maps, um, the rapper's recent collaborative album with Kenny Siegel. Denzel will be trying to curry favour with us as we look at his recent live EP. Plus, in news, swipe right as David Draymond has just joined Tinder. And we look at the weird and unusual world of one-hit wonders once again by diving deep in another 10. But grab your chain wallet, your facial piercings, your baggy trousers, and your questionable attitude to women as we are looking specifically at the new metal era. And to talk about the new metal era what better a man to be joined by than former editor of Metal Hammer, former host, my co-host of the Metal Hammer podcast, current executive editor of Louder.com, former rock sound work experience lad, and soon to be a married man, it's Mr. Merlin Alderslade. Merle, you're back out of podcast retirement. How are you doing, buddy? I am, I am. Happy to be here. Thank you for bringing me out of my uh, self-induced podcast slumber. I feel like... Sylvester Stallone and Demolition Man or something. I've been on Frozen in Time back uh, back for a podcast chat. And I'm, I'm on home turf as well. New Metal is all I'm all about. Um, any excuse to talk about... Well, I won't spoil some of the bands we're going to talk about. But any excuse to talk about these bands we're going to talk about is good. So I'm excited. It, it is good. I mean, you know, there's... Uh, well, we'll get into it a little bit later. I'm fucking... Just became like 18-year-old me again for about fucking two days where i just went and listened to nothing but this stuff pretty much and um actually it's funnily enough uh, if you go over to our patreon page patreon.com forward slash true cult pop you can sign up for exclusive content over there uh coming this weekend sam and i actually went even deeper really deep into the kind of uh, i guess that what we called the kind of the early second generation of new metal by looking at your problem by psychor the debut album from the swedish new metal band now i'm going to ask you mel do you do you remember that because there's a little bit of a generation gap a slight one here because you're a little bit younger than me do you remember or know anything about psychor at all psychor uh not really no that is something that that was a bit um not quite my time i've heard i've heard of it obviously but it's not doesn't really mean anything to me in the same way that other stuff does yeah i mean i've mugged off psycho quite a lot because it's 1998 that album came out and i've mugged off psycho quite a lot and somebody suggested it so me and sam when i went did you know what i should probably actually listen to it because they became a bit like kind of cold chamber or ultra like the ones i always tend to go for when i'm sort of slagging off the, the sort of the bad shit in new metal would be like ultra spank psycho Human Waste Project, Clawfinger. That's the ones like, like the kind of the the real kind of D-list bands. Mm. I'm not going to do any spoilers, but I think maybe I might have done Psycho a bit of a dirty here because I'm not even sure they're a new metal band, even though they do look like one. I, I don't know, mate. I, got, I don't even know what they sound like or whatever. So <laughs> they did well. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just as a little spoiler. He it, basically it just came down to the fact that he had a big silly beard. <laughs> like a silly goatee and i was like oh they're new metal but i'm not sure they are but anyway that is over there go over to uh patreon.com forward slash true cop pop if you'd like to help us out in any other ways there might be um i'm not going to promise anything but when you listen to this podcast there might have been a classic album on permission to land by the darkness come up at that point but i don't know if we have actually recorded that yet or not 
I know you're a fan of that album, Mel. Big fan. One of the greatest rock debut albums of all time. A perfect 10 out of 10 record. Yes, absolutely. How could so, I not be? Well, yeah. I mean, it does seem like... It's a weird... I, I just... I don't know how you could like guitar music and listen to Black Shuck and go, nah, not for me. Yeah, not a well-put-together rock song that's extremely catchy and just good. Yeah, it'd be insane. But anyway, you've, you may have either heard that or that'll be coming in about a week or so. So uh, go over there <coughs> and we can sign up for stuff. Um now we usually when we talk about what's going on in the world we normally ask whoever's on to talk about a song that they have recently been listening to i couldn't have ever envisaged mel anyone else picking the song that you picked would you like to reveal what you've recently been jamming in your own personal life i don't know whether to take that as a uh, an insult or a compliment to be honest mate but yes so inexplicably as i approach middle age and i embrace the simpler things in life i've started to get more of an affinity for kind of kind of safe fairly middle of the road us kind of uh, early 2000s rock radio and rock metal so i've been listening to a bit of saliva been listening to a bit of stained recently um i probably shouldn't admit that because aaron lewis is a bit of a twat but mm. still you know outside's a banger um but uh, the one song that's that's in regular rotation, especially when I've had a beer and I fancy a sing-along, is The Immortal Hero by Chad Kroger. Um, just, or Kruger, I think we're supposed to say, actually. He revealed everyone's been saying his name wrong for the last 20 years recently, didn't he? But yeah, Hero by Chad Kruger. Kruger. Yeah, Kruger, Kru- like Freddy. That's how he said it. That's mental, isn't it? <laughs> like, imagine your if, you're, if you were like... Um, people have been calling you Hitler for ages and you go no no it's, it's it's Hitler actually so you've been saying it wrong it's Hitler you're like yeah I don't know if you'd be happy with that why Harrison no well mate, well, I don't know but I just think like if your name if people be calling you Krog you wouldn't go no no it, it, it's Krug or change it you go like if you recalled like I, I was trying to think of what how you could mispronounce Voorhees but you couldn't really, could you? I don't know why you'd go, hey guys, by the way, my name is actually like the child murdering. Oh, I like, see what you're saying. Do you know what I mean? Like, why would you go, it's more like that? Like, oh, no, my name's not actually Attila. It's Attila, like Attila the Hun. You, well, why would you want to sound like that? Ridiculous. I don't know. Well, what's, what's in a name? What's in a name? <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the song I've gone for because I thought as well it would be a good it would be a good chance to chat about a kind of beloved tradition in uh, kind of Hollywood that seems to have gone a bit by the wayside in the last 20 years. Yeah, I mean, you've um, shockingly left out, this is actually a duet between Josie oh, Scott and Chad Kruger. Uh, yeah, 1st of March 2002, this was released. I mean, this is, we're not straying too far from what we're talking about from the whole episode really here, but this is the, this is the big single from the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man film back when that was a thing i mean is this a, is this a duet i mean would you i don't think they'd like you like it to be sort of referred to as a duet really because i think that's usually got kind of romantic connotations and they don't seem like the type of chaps who would be that does it? kind of okay <laughs> well i think so yeah like doesn't it i don't know about that i think it's a duet it's fine they both they both okay. take turns to sing bits of it they do some great uh kind of to and fro in in the final mm. um the final 30 seconds it's a duet they're a team yeah yeah, uh, yeah, but it's from the Spider-Man. So it's like the big, the big film from the Sp- the first Spider-Man film, and yeah, you're right. Like that's not really a thing anymore, is it? Really, like having a song which is associated with the big blockbuster film. I know. Well, the mate, because because I was actually going to pick um, the uh, uh, Amy Lee and Cedar song "Broken" um, to do this with, because that's kind of also on the uh, the inexplicable playlist I've been listening to a lot recently. 
Um, but then I kind of thought the hero thing was more interesting because I was also listening to Kiss from a Rose by um, Seal. Uh, and I just kind of thought, there was such a great tradition in the 90s, especially and kind of in the 80s as well, I guess, of these like massive, iconic, chart-chopping, topping, easy for me to say, uh, anthems that would be, like you said, just kind of uh, inexorably linked with a big film where the, the music video would have shots from the film in it um, and it would just become a part of that kind of film's DNA almost. It would, it would either get played over the credits or during a big scene or whatever. Uh, and that was something that just used to be a thing. And it just seems in this kind of marvelly landscape we now live in that that just isn't quite the same uh, way of doing things anymore. They tried to do it with the Top Gun sequel because Lady Gaga put out a song that was quite in that tradition, which was quite a cool thing. But it felt like a throwback more than something that's like done a lot now. Um but I, but I genuinely think, you know, I'm a big comics geek. I love Spider-Man. I love those, especially the first two um, Raimi films are brilliant. The third one, not so much. Um, but I think just the fact that it is, there's Spider-Man in the video as well, and he's swinging about while Chad stands on top of a skyscraper in Manhattan singing. I just, I don't know. It just makes me like it even more. It's just, it's all kind of woven together in a really nice way. Yeah, like, I got and to be it's honest. A I didn't... Sorry, I should be clear. It is a banger of a song. Well, look, I didn't really like this back in the day. Um, but weirdly, like my mate Dan, who you met, my mate Dan, I used to work with, um, he fucking loved this. And he's somebody who doesn't like guitar music at all, but he was like, put on that, um, put on that hero by, uh, by Nickelback. It's Nickelback in it. But and I was like, it's actually just a Chad Kroger solo song, actually, Dan. But, um, but he fucking loved it. So he, when I was working in London a lot, he would always be like, get, get that, get that hero on. And he fucking loved it. It's got no interest in guitar music or rock music in anything at all whatsoever. But that I was like, that is proof that when you get those massive kind of pop rock crossover songs that are linked to a movie, that is just a license to print money. I mean, like you say, Kiss Me Rose, I suppose like, hold me, thrill me, kiss me, kill me. Of course I would say that. Um, fucking the Brian Adams, um, Robin Hood's song. I, I can't Everything I do. Really, everything I do, yeah. You know, like fucking Whitney Houston, like all, all of that shit. Like that, that was, you know, even going back to like Simple Minds doing Don't You Forget About Me with The Breakfast Club and stuff like, it's just a fucking license to print money. And, you know, the American Pie soundtrack through back to the Empire Records soundtrack to the fucking Spawn or Judgment Day or whatever, those soundtracks were just, they were massive around that period. Like you would go and buy a soundtrack to a film and it, it would be, I think it would be treated like and thought of like a, a proper album. Like those, you know, they, they I, yeah, you're right. I just don't think, aside from Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's all old music, I don't really think I can think of a film recently where you go, oh, yeah, yeah, they've really thought about the the music, the soundtrack as opposed to the score. The score's different, but I think, like, the soundtrack, soundtracks are just gone, aren't they? They're just basically gone. Yeah, pretty much. The only other one I can think of was another, another Marvel film, actually, was when Kendrick did the first Black Panther album, because that is an amazing album, and that felt very yeah. much in line with, you know, it was linked to the film, it, there's big uh, kind of needle drops in the film that use the soundtrack and I think that was a really good almost kind of old school feel of the way they did all that but apart from that it doesn't really happen anymore I mean lest we forget Will Smith became the first person ever to have a number one single at the same time that he had a number one film at the box office you know he, like the Men in Black thing was just insane the way that happened mm -hmm. and I just couldn't see I mean I suppose Lady Gaga did it with the um, the uh, Bradley Cooper film Star is Born Star is Born, yeah, she kind of did that, but I mean, that's literally about music and it's, you know, it's her character and it kind of, it's a bit more on the nose. But um, yeah, it was just a kind of, I just think the the 
the dialogue and the discourse within pop culture itself has changed. And I couldn't tell you why it doesn't really happen anymore. But um, it was just, I don't know, I guess it's just, I'm just being nostalgic, really. There's just something that feels really warm and wholesome about that whole dynamic that I quite miss. Yeah, um, I've got some stats about this song. Uh, got to number four in the UK, number four, number three in the United States. Sold, imagine this, imagine any band being able to turn around and say this for their album now, any rock band. It sold 400,000 physical copies just in the United Kingdom. 400,000 just in the UK, mental. Um, and it was actually the 39th best-selling single of 2002 here in the UK. In Canada, obviously it got to number one, obviously um it won't shock you to learn and it was the eighth best-selling song of the year in 2002 in canada i mean that would sustain a band for like now that would sustain a band for for their entire career but it's just like almost a footnote for nickelback isn't it it's so fucking nuts how big yes yeah, the chad kruger kind of uh, side hustle <laughs> yeah it really is and actually like putting it on i put it on after you picked it i was like okay um and then i put it on and i was like i think this is actually quite a good song actually this is actually a pretty good song i mean particularly that and they're watching us watching us watching as we fly away like it's stuffed as fuck and it's really cheesy but i think it works as a film and i think it's just like it's so massive it's sort of it's kind of like a kind of butt rock version of all for one and one for all by rod stewart sting and brian adams from that brian from that uh three musketeers song you know the all for one and one for all it's basically that but done by people who watch <laughs> attitude era wwe really isn't it <laughs> yeah basically it is yeah but it, but it really works it it captures because, you know, I love superhero films. I loved loads of the MCU films. Um, but I think Raimi's, uh, Raimi's um, Spider-Man films were done in a certain way. I think they kind of got to grips with uh, the kind of uh, core themes of, of what being a superhero is and those kind of things, those kind of like the battles within and, um, and all that kind of stuff in a way that the modern Marvel films don't often quite so much. And I just think there's something about that song that really... It just works with it. Like you said, it's really cheesy, but it mm. fits a very certain style of movie making that I think we see a lot less of in the modern blockbuster. And I do miss quite a bit, actually, because, again, I love the MCU, love the output it's had, but um, th there's something that's definitely been lost in the the kind of film that those first two Spider-Man films were. And I think Hero fit that really well. Um, and it's just, it's just... I didn't really like it that much either at the time, Steve, to be honest. I thought it was a bit forgettable i was kind of never into nickelback back then but then um, again i just ended up listening to it a lot recently and it's i've just kind of gone fuck yeah actually i want to just have an earnest you know lies in the air sing-along every now and again why the fuck not you know mm. did you know matt cameron from uh from from a, a lot of bands matt cameron played drums on it as well which i didn't know i did not matt know cameron that. I probably matt Ca would have seen that but i didn't know that yeah um you know matt Matt Cameron of Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, most famously, but also lots of other things. But fuck me, yeah, it's um, it's pretty good. Although looking at the rest of the people on it, uh, Tyler Connolly of Theory of a Dead Man, Mike Kruger of Nickelback on bass, and someone called Brian Larson of the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra. Right, okay, uh, doing the string, like leading the string quartet. Fine, yes, um, I'll, I'll take it. Like I said, I can't imagine either samurai ever would have picked hero by chad kruger and josie scott but i'm kind of glad you did actually 
I reevaluated it. I actually quite like it. Um, for me, this week, so I've picked uh, Only Happy When It Rains by Garbage, uh, which is the second single from the US stroke Scottish 90s alt rock legends debut self-titled album which came out on the 18th of september 1995 um i've recently been doing as you may well know mel you might have seen it in the system i'm doing the worst the best of garbage uh for lovely paul Brannigan, and i've been listening to their back catalogue all week and i probably wouldn't surprise anyone to learn i mean i think that that first garbage album which i've said many times before is an absolute classic holds up so fucking brilliantly i absolutely i think they're a great band i think they're a massively underrated band i think shirley manson is amazing and i think this particular um era of garbage when they came out with so many big hitters this song is just fucking rad it's so great it's got the exact kind of seesaw balance between threat and sexiness and just being a banging pop song but also feeling a little bit alternative this is a banger. This is a great song. Do you like Garbage? Are you into Garbage at all? Uh, very fair weather. Like they're one of those bands that I, th- I mean, I think they're great. I think Sorry Manson is an absolute icon, but um, they're one of those bands that I kind of think that I'm not that bothered about. And then every so often I'll go and like steam through the hits and be like, oh yeah, they did this. Oh yeah, they did this. Oh yeah, they did this. And that song is one of them. It's a great tune. Yeah, it's a fucking absolute banger. Got number 29 on the UK singles chart, which I actually think feels like it's quite low considering they were, you know, ended up headlining Reading. Again, like, you know they did a bond the garbage did a bond theme and they headlined reading all within like a couple of years of this record coming out and they were basically like a weird little i don't want to say side project but they were just a weird little project from a bunch of with the exception of butch vig like quite a, a lot of like fairly faceless um producers and you know music industry session players and stuff who decided they're going to put this band together and they ended up being like you know, reading headliners and also doing a doing. It, I mean, it's the Bond theme thing. I mean, we're literally just talking about music and movies and stuff. But the Bond theme, which is great, the, the garbage one, I, I think. But like, it's so mad to think that they were just kind of an afterthought of a band if you know much about their history. And then this album is so good that they ended up being asked to do like. Ultimately, if you are going to do something from a movie, the Bond theme is the biggest. That is the biggest accolade you can get, right? Yeah, I suppose that's the one. We've just been talking about um, songs in films and stuff, and that probably is the one lasting significant example of that that still uh, exists to this day, really. The Bond theme is such a massive deal, and it's such a massive part of the Bond uh, you know, culture and, and um, the dynamic uh, within the film of it all. Um, and yeah, it is... It is fucking great song as well really really good I, th- I always feel like they're maybe a little bit taken for granted garbage because they're a massively important band in that era and they don't mm. like you said they've headlined festivals they've been asked to do massive important um you know culturally significant uh, film contributions and stuff soundtrack contributions but it doesn't feel like they're quite like they don't immediately come to mind when you're thinking of those really important kind of 90s early noughties uk rock bands yeah, they don't. But I'll tell you what, right? I think you can always tell how kind of influential and how big a band is by who covers them. Uh, this has been covered, this song. We actually spoke about when Misery Loves Company's album came out last year. I spoke about the cover on this, which is quite good. Um, New Year's Day featuring Lizzie Hale. Lizzie Hale fronted New Year's Day covering this song. Uh, the Pretenders covered this song. And I never knew this. I don't know if you knew this. Metallica covered this. They did? They did. Metallica covered this song. Um, 
Did you say they, New Year's Day covered it? New Year's Day covered it with Lizzie Hale, yeah. So Lizzie Hale was with the band as well? Yeah, so Lizzie Hale fronted New Year's Day on the cover of this. I don't know if she fronted it or duetted it with, with, with Ash from New Year's oh, Day, but they did it together. Never heard that. I've not actually... I've not actually heard that version, but I've seen that they had that they did do it together. But um, yeah, like Metallica, actual actual Metallica did it in 2007. They did an acoustic performance of Neil Young's Bridge School Benefit Show, and they covered this song. That is That's pretty. I big. mean, doesn't get higher praise than that, does it? Really, literally the biggest metal band of all time covering your song. Yeah, I, I think that's fucking great. I didn't actually know that. Um, but again, like the original of this song, it's just so great. Particularly like when it goes into that, pour your misery down. That, that bit is so great. I love garbage. I love garbage. I've, I kind of, again, they are one of those bands that I do take for granted a bit. But every time I put them on, I'm like, I love this band. They're fucking brilliant. Fucking yeah. brilliant. Get on it. Get on garbage. They're really, really good. Um, just a little quick bit of news before we go into everything. I mean, is this news or is this just us being, or me being really, really nosy? Uh, have you seen this about David Draymond? David Draymond's on Twitter. And on Twitter, he's on Tinder, sorry. Um, which is fine. But I just thought it was quite... You don't expect to see a, a new metal icon like David Draymond rocking up on Tinder. It's a bit weird, no. isn't it? I don't really know what to say about it, to be honest. <laughs> that, that's the story. I, <laughs> He's on I don't either. For him. Yeah, I just think you wouldn't believe it, would you? You wouldn't. You wouldn't if you saw David. If you you've got to obviously put yourself in a in a lady's shoes. If you saw David Draymond on Twitter, on Twitter, I want to get you on Twitter, on Tinder. You would <laughs> you wouldn't go. Oh, that must, that's definitely David Draymond. You'd think, is someone pretending to be, because I know like fucking Sharon Stone got kicked off Tinder, didn't she? Because they were going, stop pretending to be Sharon Stone. And Sharon Stone had to go, no, it is actually, it is actually me. I mean, what, David Draymond is one thing. What is Sharon Stone doing on Tinder? Come on. No one's going to be on her level. Do you know what I mean? Like just no. some bloke just swiping right on Sharon Stone. Yeah, that's going to work. Come on. Yeah, I know. Like, it's mental. I actually, I mean, I've been on dating apps before, and uh, I saw what I what I believe was Natalie Imbruglia on Bumble. Does I, mean, she, I didn't match her. Does she live obviously. in this London? Is, it's years ago. This is quite a long time ago. <clears throat> but I know that you know, like, be happy with that. If I had, I mean, I didn't. Obviously, I didn't match with Natalie Imbruglia. But you know, that would have been quite a a feather in your cap to be like and then I matched with Natalie Imbruglia I'm not sure you can say the same about David Draymond but I think he's written quite a nice profile because obviously people like to mug off people's profiles and stuff he's put he's got a nice picture of him with his dog have you ever seen his dog before he's got a big no. fluffy dog I'm going to look it up while you're describing it hold on it's nice it's actually quite nice he's got David 50 he's a Pisces me and him have the same birthday Um, he never sits in the same room obviously uh he's not sure if he wants kids yet um open to exploring and he's put proud father front man of disturbed i mean come on mate it's not a fucking cv why is he putting that that's too much in it front man of disturbed. sorry I was, I was distracted by his dog what a lovely dog oh, it's a flex isn't it it's a flex <laughs> yeah i suppose so i believe with all my heart in the healing redeeming and therapeutic therapeutic power of music and the connection it creates between all people that's his profile 
I think that is a nice profile. Fair play to it, man. Like, why not get out there? Get. I mean, I'm um, I'm getting married this week, as uh, as you mentioned at the top of the hour, and um, I met my fiance, soon to be wife, on Tinder. So it worked for me. It can work for David Draymond. Good luck to him, I say. I met my ex-wife on t- on, on Tinder, so you know, uh, as the market, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's hit or miss, is what I think is what we're saying. But yeah, good luck to David Draymond. And he came out. Someone actually tagged him in it and went, ah. Uh, this is fake. This is nonsense. And he's gone, no, 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 it is me. It is me. So good luck, David Draymond. Good luck meeting the woman of your dreams. I hope you meet someone like Merlin's wife <laughs> rather than someone like my ex-wife. But anyway, don't need to get into that. Don't need to get into that. Um, before we get into the main beef of stuff, the beef of stuff, um, or the main point of me bringing you on here, Mel, I did ask you to listen to a couple of albums. Uh, that we can talk about really, really quickly that come out, which came out last week. Uh, Maps by Billy Woods and Kenny Siegel. Second collaboration album between the New York rapper and the LA producer uh, after they released 2019's Hiding Places. I've got to say, I don't know loads about Kenny Siegel, but I loved that Billy Woods album, um, Atheopes, last year. They got in my top 20 albums of the year. Fucking brilliant. Apparently, this is a kind of concept album about various journeys that people can take, be them from the road or the plane or even in the mind and um i think it's quite an interesting journey of a record did you get a chance to listen to this i did i listened to it in the gym this morning so thank you for sending me that because i actually listened to that album last year as well i believe on your recommendation again Mm. Uh, so i was fairly familiar with um with billy wood stuff and yeah i really liked it just really cool classy kind of low ebb hip-hop um, I really like the track with Danny Brown on as well. I had that moment where yeah. he came in and I was like, oh, that's got to be Danny Brown because he's got such an unmistakable voice. I really enjoyed that song. Um, you know, I've only listened to it once through, so I haven't been able to really dig into it, you know, conceptually and and kind of uh, tear apart all the different things that are going on there. But um, I really enjoyed it. It was a really nice vibe and I will definitely be listening to it again. So thank you for the recommendation. Yeah, man, I think it's really good. Um, it's a, I think it starts a lot less threatening and intense than um, that last album from last year. And I think that, uh, or even Harim, the um, the Arm and Hammer album that came out a few years back, which I also thought was was really really great from Billy Wood's recent uh, discography. Um, you know, it can get quite intense, but I think it's you know that that sort of more seventies funk and soul influence uh, from Kenny Siegel, that kind of production that he gives on the earlier tracks, really sort of almost like Jackie Brown or sort of Tarantino jackie brown era soundtrack feel that he gives to it that kind of really like analogy jazz stuff i think is really cool um mm. i think it puts you in a pretty nice place initially but then he does bring you down to some dark shit i mean like you mentioned year year zero with danny brown and i fucking absolutely like that song is amazing i think that kind of slow dragging beat it's got a sort of stabbing synth thing and they both sound pretty pretty untamed i think it's a re- they're a really good like combination those two voices together because danny brown comparing himself to the gruffalo at one point lovely stuff and he sounds unhinged whereas billy woods sounds billy woods's flow is really cool i think because it he he almost doesn't sound like he's rapping he just sounds like he's talking a lot of the time i think it sounds he sounds he always sounds really kind of measured but there's like this this kind of threat behind everything and like yeah it's really good there's another song called baby steps which i think is really amazing as well got these kind of pixicato string things with this really stalking killer beat as well and again billy wood sounds really kind of paranoid and a bit like all over the place on it which is it's brilliant it's about 45 minutes long it does loads of stuff um i like billy woods when he gets really really intense like that last album was really really intense um 
and there is a bit of that on here but i also think that it's quite dynamically interesting as well i like hearing the more palatable stuff alongside his voice so i was um i was really happy with this i've been smashing through this quite a lot have you kind of gone back after i gave you that recommendation last year have you gone back to any of his other stuff at all uh i did i listened to a few it was one of those where i was like oh, i don't really know much about this guy i don't know how much stuff he's got and then i look back and he's got like 20 years worth of records so i was a bit like oh my gosh yeah. i didn't really know where to start so i did go back and listen to his other stuff but um that was a few months ago when that album came out and i'm not kind of you know i couldn't uh tell you which album was which and all this kind of stuff but um, i do like his stuff it's funny because you talk about that kind of unhinged nature of it and it didn't really occur to me when i was listening to it because i think like I said, I was at the gym, so I didn't really, I guess I wasn't really taking it in um, properly in that sense. But I just think, I don't think Danny Brown can't sound, I think he always sounds unhinged because it's just the nature of his voice. Like he's just got yeah. such a unique kind of off the rails cadence to what he does. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I, I really like this record uh, after one listen. And uh, I liked, I like pretty much everything I've heard of his stuff, but I'm by no means an expert. Yeah, yeah, he's excellent. He is really good. Like, he's got a lot of shit going on. I mean, yeah, but like that kind of, uh, the kind of more measured talky stuff mixed with Danny Brown basically just like yelping. That that song is fucking excellent. But anyway, Maps by Billy Woods and Kenny Siegel is out now. It's really, really good. Um, as is Denzel Curry live at Electric Lady which is a Spotify exclusive if you don't have Spotify I don't think you can get hold of this but this is a live album from the Miami rapper first thing we've heard from him since he released the excellent Melt My Eyes See Your Future album last year the special edition they released for that which actually had a kind of live album attached to it as well with the cold-blooded soul band who are back here accompanying him on that again was really really great and this is very very live sounding um the the kind of the version of walking which is the first song off of that previous album i've changed it a fair bit even since that last release i was talking about it's got this kind of cheeky tickly funk and woozy brass thing going on i i, I like you love denzel curry right yes i really really do i think he's brilliant i've been um uh into him since um his 2016 album i think it was called imperial uh, mm. And I think that Taboo, which was the album that came out um, after that in 2018, I think it's one of the best hip-hop records of this or any decade, actually. I think it's magnificent. And I've really liked everything else he's done off the back of that. I think he's a, a pretty amazing talent. And when he said that he'd done a live record, I don't know what I was expecting, but um, I didn't listen to much of that extended edition of the album from last year, to be honest. I didn't um, go back to it nearly enough because there was so much stuff coming out last year. Um, but uh, I wasn't expecting this. I really wasn't. It's kind of cool, laid back, like a daisical kind of swing style approach to it with like an Erica Badu cover on there and stuff. I, mm. I thought it was amazing actually because I just wasn't expecting it at all. I thought it was going to be more like high, that kind of high energy, almost punky side to him, which um, uh, I've seen him live and he kind of, that's what he really brings on a stage. Um, but uh, yeah, I wasn't expecting this at all. I think it's really, really nice. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fucking great. I love it when an artist can really sort of change and adapt what they do and the songs that they make to fit into new styles and genres and stuff. And Denzel Curry here, like, I saw him on the main stage at Reading last year. And like you say, it was just like, a, it was riotous. Do you know what I mean? Like, he was jump jumping in the crowd. It was one of the times, the mo it was one of the most mental times 
the the, the crowd went fucking bananas when Denzel Curry yeah. came on, and it was like it was like being at a hardcore show. It was like being at a punk show, and he had so much energy and was just going fucking berserk the whole time and being like, rah, 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 like come on, getting everyone going fucking nuts. And then you get this, and like you say, you know, you get like the version of X Wing on this is so good. Those kind of almost like Quincy Jones style. Mm. old school funk horns on it and that kind of tinkling piano but yet Denzel Curry still sounds super intense I think it's got a really cool dynamic range to it um, I really like the Erica Badu cover as well and you know I think Denzel Curry like I was just talking about Billy Woods being quite kind of laid back and he almost talk, his flow is almost talking and he's really quite restrained and Denzel Curry is the opposite of that he's like so expressive and wild and excitable and yet you can get like an EP like this where that voice and his whole approach to what he does is put alongside much more kind of like laid back soul and stuff. Like it's really, really impressive. It, it, I would love to see him do this like live. I would like to see him with a full band. I think that'd be fucking amazing. Definitely. I mean, I saw him at Glastonbury on the, in uh, Shangri-La about, I'm pretty sure it was quite a late night gig. I think he came on at like midnight or something or not far off that. Um, and uh, it was just mad. He came on and jumped straight into the front row. People were going crazy for it. And like, so uh, like I said, Paul, that's kind of the energy I was expecting from this when I pressed play. Um, but I agree with you, Steve. I'd love to see this. Like, there's just a real warmth and kind of earnestness to it that I just think is really, really good. And I honestly had no idea that he had this in his locker. Um, I mean, I shouldn't be too surprised because even just on Sabu, like that album does so many things in the space of like an hour and 10 minutes or whatever it is. Uh, so I shouldn't be surprised at all, actually, that he can do this as well. But I, I would love to see him do something like this in a real proper setting, maybe like a Royal Albert Hall kind of vibe. I think he could do something really special. Yeah, man, I think it'd be fucking great. So that uh, is really, really good. So if you've got Spotify, <coughs> in a Spotify exclusive, it is Dental Curry live at Electric Lady. Um, well good. It's not just... If you think, like, you know, sometimes these things can be these sort of exclusive live things. You go, ah, live album, like, or live EP or whatever. Like, is this just a stopgap? Is this just, like, a, an extra kind of moneymaker or something to just keep you in the public eye so you can be like, hey. But um, this isn't. This is really, really great. And I, I hope he kind of... Yeah, I really would like to see him kind of actually take this out and particularly bring it over to the UK. That would be fucking great. Anyway, let's crack on with... Enough about modern cutting-ed music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fuck that. We're doing the old one-hit wonder thing again. We've done it a few times before, picking five one-hit wonders. Um, picking five one-hit wonders uh, each, essentially, me and Merle, and um, talking about that and what is so weird in you it's something, something about one hit wonders i think uh, as we've discussed many times before that is just really interesting to to work out why they didn't translate to more than just one song but this time we're focusing on focusing on a very very specific period when metal became almost like the big one hit wonder genre for a while there's that little period where bands would arrive release a massive catchy banger and then vanish. It was a weird time. It was a weird, weird time, right? Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a weird time, and it was the time where I think a generation of people got into heavy music, like me. That's how I got into heavy music. I uh, I um I got into new metal through the WWE. Uh, Undertaker, of course, famously used Rolling by Limp Bizkit for his American Badass gimmick, and I was like, oh, this song. I think I was aware of Limp Bizkit, obviously, by that point, but I hadn't really listened to them. 
and then I went up and picked Rolling On Cassette back when we actually listened to cassettes instead of just collecting them <laughs> like now. God, I'm old. Um, and uh, and uh, then and then you know all of a sudden there was just this really fun, vibrant, colourful, exciting world of. Uh, kind of flash in the pan new metal bands and I had a lot of those albums I dread to think how much money I was spending I mean people talk about the price of CDs now this is when you could go and like legitimately spend like 16 quid on a CD in H&B or Virgin Megastores I dread to think how many albums I went and bought off the basis of seeing a really cool video on Kerrang TV and then uh, and then getting home and realising the album was absolute shit and never listening to it again I've honestly yeah. got about 10 of them at home Oh, mate, I've got a few as well. Don't worry, I've got a few. I was definitely... I mean, we should say this, right, before we get going, right? There is a, what is it, five-year age gap between the two of us? Seven, boy. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, mate. That is a shame. There's a seven-year age gap between the two of us. And thus, um, the idea of what new metal is and where new metal was and all that kind of stuff... It is slightly different between the two of us. I mean, you know, I guess I got into new metal through the first Corn album. I'm a legit new metal OG uh, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, don't worry about it. It's not no biggie. Um, <laughs> it doesn't make me. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm better than you. It's just different. Um, but well, I think, one, one man's Corn is another man's El Nino, Steve. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so before we get going, like how? Because I feel like we might have slightly different ideas even about what new metal is how would you define new metal oh man i mean for me it's uh, i don't think it's like one super specific sound in the same way that for instance thrash metal is like you know what a thrash metal riff is you hear it it's thrash it's yeah. cut and dried you know um but for me new metal it's those kind of big down tuned groove uh, i guess groove kind of focused riffs um, uh, and there's kind of often a bit of a hip hop element in there as well. I think whether that's through the presence of a DJ or whether it's actually through rapping. Um, uh, and I think, you know, there's a strong aesthetic that goes with new metal as well. I mean, there's at least one song in my list that you could debate whether it's even a new metal song, but I just think the kind of timing of it coming out and the kind of look and feel of the video and all that kind of stuff made it a natural fit for that. You know, one of the songs we were going to talk about and then we decided, um, I ended up dropping it was um, Crazy Town with uh, Butterfly. We were going to pick that track and then I decided not to at the last minute. You know, is that really a new metal song? Can you compare a song like that to Limp Bizkit or Korn or Papa Roach? I don't think you can really, but there's something about it that just that just kind of fits the fits the the feel of it all. So it's quite, um, for a kind of a quite derided and kind of often underestimated genre, it's actually quite a, a, a wide and varied crop of bands that you could fit into there. I mean, you know, the first Sintler album for me is a new metal album. It's the, it's the heaviest end of new metal you can possibly go to, but you can't convince me that Spear Out isn't a new metal song. Um, you know, same with Summer System of a Down stuff, same with Summer Deftone stuff. The fact that all those bands can fit in a scene together alongside you know, I'd say the quintessential new metal band is Limp Bizkit. Uh, and the mm -hmm. fact that all those bands can sit together is is pretty amazing, really. Yeah, it is. I mean, for me, like the, the aesthetic of it plays a massive part. I think it's when anything that you look at that from that kind of period, which isn't traditionally minded metal, to me feels like new metal. I mean, the kind of the hip hop thing, Disturbed are a new metal band, undoubtedly. I used to say they weren't. They are. Uh, but, you know, David Draymond would go, oh, we don't have any hip-hop in our music, so how can we be new metal? And it's like, well, 
that's not the be all and end all of new metal i mean you're wearing a straight jacket and you've got big two big bits of metal coming out your face i think that like that in itself like you you know you you don't look like Dio. Do you know what I mean? Like you look like something new. And, and also and that... the actual syncopation of how David Draymond sings isn't that dissimilar to how a lot of rappers um, mm. vocalise their, their lyrics. Do you know what I mean? Like there is actually a bit of that and they've got that real kind of beat and ebb and flow to their music that again has some similarities. So for him to just kind of flat out say they've got nothing to do with hip hop, I think is actually not necessarily true. Yeah. I mean, they said it a lot, but... Who knows? I mean, they're clearly, clearly a new metal band. But the distinction comes early on when we go to the first pick, which is my first pick. We're doing this in a in a kind of chronological order uh, of, of a thing. I have gone for Genius by Pitch Shifter, which is the lead single from the Nottingham industrial metal bands. So I'm not even called of a new metal band in, in immediately. Um, 1998 fourth album www this came out as a single before the album got to number 71 on the uk singles chart really their only kind of chart hit i think they might have had another one that got in but i think um you would call this pretty much their biggest hit now are pitch shifter a new metal band no i don't think they are but is this and around this time were they lumped in with all the stuff that was going on in new metal i think they were so for me i'm having this as certainly a new metal one hit wonder for pitch shifters career i'm not really sure they had any hits earlier than this even though they came from a completely different um era in a lot of ways and a completely different scene but i'm wondering mel if you would agree with me and, and say that this would be classed as a new metal song so uh, I think so. First of all, pitch shifts have completely passed me by. When I, by the time I was really connecting with new metal and started to become a metalhead, pitch shifts were kind of done. They weren't really being talked about, to be honest. I don't even remember them being mentioned very much. I remember seeing them mentioned a bit in uh, Kerrang, certainly, and probably Metal Hammer as well. But they weren't a band that my mates were all into new metal were listening to. I don't remember ever seeing a video of theirs on Kerrang TV or Scars. I can't quite remember when Scars turned up, but it was, I think it was at the kind of back end of that whole scene. Um, so when I think of the kind of, I guess what people might describe as like almost like the new metal landfill scene, um, which is unfair to even suggest Pitch Shifter would go in there, but they don't really, uh, I don't really associate with them with new metal at all, to be honest. Um, and I listened to this song and I have heard it before, but I didn't really remember a lot about it. It didn't resonate with me a lot in a big way. I think it absolutely belongs in that scene, but I don't think if you were going to get me to pick like 10 quintessential new metal songs that really show you what the genre is, I personally wouldn't put this in there, but I think because it's got that kind of link to electronic music, which again, some new metal certainly had, and it's got that focus on groove and it's kind of, it doesn't feel like, a, you know like a proper heavy metal song or anything like that i think it certainly feels like at least a kind of cousin of the scene if you know what i mean but i don't think i don't associate pitch shifter with the kind of baggy trousers spiky hair wallet chain um thing that new metal became in the 2000s but that is exactly what they look like around that time you know mm. they toured with limp biscuit they toured with deftones i saw them supporting corn uh, they played the Ozfest on the second stage when they would have been surrounded by, you know, let's say Il Nino, Apartment 26 and Ultra Spank and, you know, uh, Godhead and all those other bands that were going around at that time. And they were like 
unquestionably in on that. I think the thing is, is that they before that they were on Earache Records and they were very much a kind of grindy industrial band and they sounded more like Godflesh and yeah so i can see why but you know but the roots of new metal i mean i i thought about picking uh age of panic by censor which came out in 1994 so that's like the same year as corn's debut album comes out but then i was like well that's kind of too early to be really properly new metal and also i think censor would be much more in the kind of rap rock vein or the the kind of alt metal vein rather than new metal which probably i like i don't even remember when new metal as a terminology kind of came around but it certainly was there i think by 1998 when pitch shifter were doing it so this to me is like probably one of the few successful attempts by a british band to get their foot into the door of like what was going on in the american scene which was at that point still kind of this like nebulous don't really know what it is like is what do you call it what are the characteristics oh this person's got a dj oh that person's using electronics we don't even know what half this stuff is um it's a bit like an early version of nothing by a i think which a again not not a new metal band at all but nothing's a new metal song right yeah you would you would consider that kind of part of that thing which we'll probably talk about a little bit later on um but i just think it's a fucking banger like yeah, that bass like sugar and it's got the whole like oh it's bass and then it just fucking goes genius in the middle of it like uh, pitch it to have aged not great like as a lot of this music has but i still think this song sounds fucking great personally yeah no it sounds really really good and like i i think if i'd uh, you know, hadn't just missed the boat on Pitch Shifter. I think they would have been a, a, a big band for me because, I, you know, that that kind of thing is is something that I really, really like. And it's a shame, really, because um, I'm pretty sure I'll be talking about them in much more kind of uh, reverent and excitable tones if I if I got into them at the right time. But like I said, they just people just weren't really talking about them by the time I got into uh, metal in the early 2000s. And it's a shame because they're really good. And this song is what is not up for debate whatsoever. Is that this song is an absolute rager. Yeah, it's a banger. Um, the video won a Kerrang Award for Best Video in 1998. Don't know if you've seen nice. the video. It's basically the band playing in front of a load of riot police and then all their shields smashed and stuff. Quite good. Uh, and it was also uh, in the movie Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which I've never seen. I have seen it. It's Is crap. It? Yeah, I had a feeling it might be. But anyway, it's a fucking great tune. Like, I, I, I got a lot of time for Pitch Shifter, even though they do sound... I mean, just even the name of the album, www.pitchshifter.com, that is so fucking unbelievably 90s. Um, but let's move on to your first pick, Mel. Uh, You've gone for The Union Underground. Turn me on, Mr. Deadman. The lead single from the debut album, An Education in Rebellion, released on the 28th of August in the year 2000. Uh, go on, give us the fucking lowdown on this as a pick. Well, uh, so this is, when I talk about um, getting into a band off the basis of a video and then realising that the album isn't very good, this is like a prime example of that. Um, but uh, uh, I was um, uh, one of the big artists for me in the early 2000s, uh, just kind of off the back of getting into new metal, was Marilyn Manson and... Um, the the band were kind of really linked to Manson. I think they signed to his label or something, or he he looked after them for a bit. I can't remember what the connection was now, but that was kind of like part of the um, part of the um, you know the shtick that they were being talked about in places like Metal or Hammer and Kerrang with. 
um, you made a face if you, you spotted something. Yeah, they, they're actually the first act assigned to Chad Kroger's 604 Records. Well, there you go. What, what, what a Steam Company. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. I didn't think we'd get another Kroger reference in on here. <laughs> I didn't know that. No, yeah, but anyway, go on. Um, and yeah, so, uh, you know, this song, I was just listening to this song back um, before we uh, before we started because I haven't listened to it in a while. Uh, and firstly, it's got, a, it's got a homophobic slur on it, so it's definitely not aged well whatsoever. Um, but uh, it's not... <laughs> It's not quite as good as I remember, to be honest. There's not really a lot to this song. Like, it's kind of this, like, pounding B-rate kind of semi-industrial metal track, I guess. Um, but uh, I really liked it at the time. I thought it sounded really cool. Uh, and uh, then I went and picked up the album and Education in Rebellion. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't mind the record when I first heard it. I remember I had a song called South Texas Death Rod on it that I quite like. Um uh, but yeah, I can't really remember a lot more else about it, to be honest. And it just, after a while, it just, as I got into metal properly and I started to appreciate bands that could actually write compelling albums, uh, it just got kind of left in the wayside a bit. But that wasn't uh, totally the end of the road for Union Underground because even though I think this might be the only album they actually ever put out, they did randomly pop up a couple of years later uh, because they ended up doing um, a song that was used for WWE Raw for a few years across the nation. Uh, which is uh, so they did kind of have a weird little mini second win there but um, as far as I'm aware they never released another record so that was kind of that for them I think they are probably the definition uh, even though I've just contradicted myself by saying they did have another song afterwards but in terms of like new metal one hit wonders for that era turning up with one song doing an album and then just disappearing is about as on the nose as it gets yeah I should say uh, so bad is my research actually nothing to do with Chad Kroger at all I was actually looking at Theory of a Dead Man um which is i did think <laughs> i was like jack Kroger had a label that union underground were on <laughs> which i got that so badly wrong <laughs> like that they are not the same they're not the same thing at all um but i tell you what, you're, you're right yeah they only had one album yeah i was looking at theory of a dead man for some reason uh turn me on mr dead man is what i should should have been looking on um you say about uh across the nation being a being a big hit and you're right it was like do you know Turn Me On Mr. Dead Man is their third biggest song on Spotify? I did know that. I looked it up um, when I was prepping for this. And for some reason, I'm not surprised that the the, the song that was used for Roar is in there. Because obviously that's, that's that's probably is their most famous song now, actually. But there was just another random album track of the album that was number one, I think. And I was like, why is this number one? What's happened? South Texas Death Ride. That's what I was talking about. Yeah, come on, come yeah. on, come on, get up, get up. South Texas Death Ride, you motherfucker. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, I don't know why that's number one. Maybe it's just ended up on a new metal Spotify playlist or something, and that's that's what's happened. Yeah, um, like for me, uh, I don't really, I didn't really, I didn't listen to this band when they came out. I didn't at all. Uh, it didn't look like it ever charted anywhere, but it was a sort of pretty big tune. You know, it's got that kind of Rob Zombie cowboy industrial thing going on, which I think is 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 pretty good. Um, but for me, like. The, so here's the thing that I was going to ask you about. Did you ever feel like, you know, so the new metal era, I always felt like there were Kerrang bands, Kerrang new metal bands and Metal Hammer new metal bands. Like Mudvayne were a Metal Hammer new metal band and Papa Roach were a Kerrang new metal band. And the Union Underground to me are very much a Metal Hammer new metal band. Do you know what I mean? Like they felt like Metal Hammer at that time would have been more like, yes, this is the kind of new metal we like, as opposed to Kerrang! We're always like, oh, a bit of the kind of, it is a bit cleaner and a bit more like, I don't know, sort of short hair and nicer haircut, you know, nicer haircuts and a bit more kind of clean cut. 
this is quite a dirty song. I feel like Hammer would have been bang into this. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, uh, you know, there was the link with Manson. I was just looking it up. They, they went on tour with him. He handpicked them to be on their tour, on the uh, Hollywood tour in 2000. So that's where that link was. Don't know if that's something they boast about now, to be honest. Um, but it's uh, it was kind of quite a big deal at the time. Um, I mean, the thing with, uh, you know, when I was growing up reading Metal Harm and Kerrang, there wasn't like, until Kerrang started covering a bit more like indie and the whole emo thing that happened, there wasn't like a massive difference in coverage between the two, to be honest. I mean, Papa Roach were on the cover of Metal Hammer, so mm. so were Linkin Park as well, um, albeit with a kind of like, oh, are they manufactured kind of angle on it. Um, but in terms of like something that might get played at a metal club, like you could see this getting played in like a dingy metal club where they're playing like, you know, Rob Zombie and stuff like that, for sure. It definitely um, it definitely would fit that mould more than uh, the lighter end of something like, you know, the Hoop Tank song I'm going to talk about later, for instance, is definitely like a different shade to that. Mm. Yeah, I always think of these as bands like kind of like, like Dry Kill Logic. They all they were just I don't know some new metal bands. They like the whole our, our Linkin Park a boy band sort of thing. It just found out because like Mike Shinoda and Chester Bennett were both pretty good looking dudes. Um, whereas the bloke from Dry Kill Logic looked a bit like Sloth from uh, from the Goonies. And so you're like, well, you know, Met Hammer always was a bit like, I just felt it was a bit kind of raw and a bit uglier. And uh, I haven't looked at the Union Underground. Um, I feel like they're just a bit more... Well, how can I say it in a nice way? I can't, it doesn't matter. They're not going to get me, are they? They're just a bit sort of uglier looking. Do you know what I mean? They're a bit more kind of gruesome, more gruesome looking. And I would associate that more with, with Hammer. As for the actual song itself... Again, I don't remember it from the time particularly, so I don't have any sort of nostalgic feelings towards it. But I do quite like it. Yeah, it's not bad. I was a bit harsh on it at the top because it's just it's just not really got like it's not anthemic, is it? It's not anthemic like a lot of these songs are. It's not anthemic like uh, you know, A Life by POD is or like Last Resort by Papa Roaches. It's not got that real like open chested sing along element to it. It's just a bit of a pulverizing metal song. Um mm. you know, it's kind of like one of those you could almost imagine it at a really, really dingy stripper, like strip bar or something. Do you know what I mean? It's got that kind of quality to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it definitely has. Yeah. It's it, it's grim, isn't it? It's like, it's a sort of like, yeah, it's got all that, all that. You know, when new metal crossed over to a load of people who wouldn't usually be caught dead listening to metal, but there were still bands in it who were just for like, pure fucking grebo this is like a pure grebo song no, no one who is like oh i bought the david gray album and hybrid theory is going to be listening to this that's not going to happen no definitely not i don't know i mean i was probably one of the only people that did buy the album but <laughs> i don't know what that says about me <laughs> oh mate i mean i bought some fucking stinkers uh four years before so i wouldn't worry about it too much we, we all we've all done it we've all done it um yeah tell me i'm mr dead man by the union underground i'd give that a give that a sort of seven out of ten if i was ranking it do you know what i mean like it's all right it's pretty good i think it's pretty good um i might contradict myself with my next pick because i've gone for blue monday by orgy which is the second single yes second single from um jonathan davis's first signings to his elementary record label back in the day from their debut album candy ass which came out on the 14th of december 1998 this got to number 56 on the US Billboard chart. It is, of course, a cover of the classic New Order song, Blue Monday. And I think it gave us two things, really. Firstly, I think this is the first time you get the new metal singer as label boss stroke A&R guy pushing his bands, no matter how bad they are on the world. 
Um, Fred Durst would do this later on. Kobe Dick would do it later on. Marilyn Manson, clown from Slipknot. Chad Kroger, as we've just discovered as well. And it also gave us, I think, maybe, the first new metal 80s pop cover. And I suppose you could argue Marilyn Manson doing Sweet Dreams maybe really started that, but that's not really strictly new metal. And we probably don't need to talk about him too much. But I think this is the proper first new metal 80s cover, which then became... Like, everybody did it, didn't they? Because every single fucking band suddenly were like, oh, we've got to have a cover of some big 70s, 80s pop song on our album somewhere. And this is the first one we get, really. Um, I'm not sure if this is actually any good or not. Or if, or if the original is so good that it's just hard to really fuck it up. But whatever. My main point actually is Candy Ass by Orgy. Quite a good album. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever listened to the album. Uh, this is another one. Like, I think the the slight age gap and perspective gap on us is really interesting because this is another band that I feel like. I mean, you, you talk about Union Underground being like one of those like grievoy ends of new metal screens. I think Orgy are really prop. Like they might be the most grievoy band. Like someone who went and kind of picked up Hybrid Theory. Well, like you say, they picked up like you know parachute by coldplay or whatever like like they ain't they ain't listening to orgy that is a proper like gothier kind of uh goth night end of of new metal um and again weren't really on my radar because they could they were they kind of really were like a flash in the pan thing um and uh uh but there's a lot of people that have a lot of love for that band in that um that era i think of people like our um uh my former colleague at metal hammer vanessa uh she 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 loves that shit i'm pretty sure she was into orgy and all that kind of stuff so um uh you know there's there's a certain kind of demographic i think that that absolutely love uh that stuff and probably would love a little, little bit of the union underground as well i could see them being on a tour together um but uh yeah wasn't wasn't a thing that i was massively into but i do think it is one of the most iconic covers of that era um in the metal scene and you're right steve i think it definitely kick-started a trend yeah, I think that's kind of why I picked it. Also, you know, like I do quite like Candy Ass, as I've said before. But it, like, so the first single, Stitches. Do you know that song? Uh, no. <laughs> that's a great song. That is a great. That is a legit, like, really good song. It's a bit like when people go, "Oh, Alien Ant Farm." Uh, they they only did uh, they only did Smooth Criminal, and you go, "Oh," no, and people go, "No, movies is good. Movies is good." I think Stitches is the movies to Blue Mondays. Um, <laughs> smooth criminal in a lot of ways but yeah i think this is actually like i don't know i think the new order song is so fucking like i say it's so fucking great that i think you'd have to do something pretty outlandish to really fuck it up and to be fair to orgy it's not like you know they don't get it all right i think there's a few bits in there that that are quite that are quite bad but um but i think overall like it is it is pretty good and i remember you know at the time being like oh my god how weird like a band a metal band are covering new order and then the next thing you know fucking everybody's doing it they're all doing it i mean we spoke about me and sam a few weeks ago spoke about godhead doing eleanor rigby which was like kind of the nadir like the fucking you're just like why why are you what are you doing this for like just sort of I don't know. It felt like new metal bands got. It became like a like a kind of contractual obligation that they had to ruin an eighty song. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was it was weird. I mean, I can't even think if I was making my ultimate new metal playlist, I can't even think of a single one of those covers I'd put on it. To be honest, so it didn't didn't do much for me that whole thing. Can you think of the what? What's the worst one? 
Oh, God. Um, that Eleanor Rigby one is pretty bad, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to chuck in Machine Head's message in a bottle as a shout because I think. Oh, uh, yeah, really of course. Bad. That's really bad. But Shock the Monkey by Cold Chamber and Aussie, that takes some beating. In God, terms yeah, of I, yeah, I'd forgotten about both of those. There was some right dress, wasn't there? Oh, <laughs> fucking dreadful. Oh, and the other one, Spine Shank doing While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Oh, I've not even what? heard that one. What oh, the fuck? Mate. That is a bad. That's a bad idea. A Jesus. really, really bad idea. And that is around the same time as the Blue. I think it's just after sort of Blue Monday came out. Yeah, really, really not good. Um, but it does lead us quite nicely as a segue into your next pick, and it is by Spine Shank. We've just been shitty about Spine Shank and their awful cover of uh, of While My Guitar Gently Weeps. That wasn't their big hit. Their big hit was New Disease, released. Uh, it just says February on the February 2001 on the Wikipedia page it's the second single from again Dino Cazares from Fear Factory a little bit of nepotism Dino signed them and or got or got them onto Roadrunner and um, this is from the height of callousness which I think is definitely considered the definitive Spine Shank <laughs> album if such a thing exists yeah it is uh, this is one of those rare ones where I think you've got another one coming up that um, is kind of a similar vein where you know that Spine Shank were one of those bands that are new metal incarnate. Like everything about us was new metal. There was no kind of, you know, pushing of the boundaries or doing something a bit different. They were just a fucking new metal band. They look like a new metal band. They sound like a new metal band. Um, but uh, there was actually, this is where the whole one hit wonder thing gets a little bit like stretched because they did actually have another song that did quite well off this album called Synthetic, which was quite a big thing as well. Um, but New Disease was unquestionably the banger of this record. And I actually think, like, I haven't gone back to it in a while. I, I wanted to get time to listen to it again today, but I didn't. But um, I actually think The Higher Callousness is a pretty good record. I think by the standards that we're talking about, uh, you know, all these one-hit wonder new metal bands that, you know, in an era of Sinner by Drowning Pool and, um, you know, the Union Underground record and all this kind of stuff, I actually think The Higher Callousness is actually pretty good. If you just want a really fun, simple a new metal album with a decent hit rate it's not actually bad but i think that new disease is an absolute rager it's like definitely in my top tier of um outside of you know the absolute heavyweights like corn biscuit paparoche etc like i think uh out of the the rest of it the landfill i think that this is right up there it's a great tune and um i just love the fact that it's got like that it's like so many of these bands needed these certain little things to kind of fully fit in with the new metal vibe and it's got that one wrapped line at the end that they just chuck in for no real reason it's actually one lyric uh they don't do it again did i ever want this it's all it could have been it should, should have been that bit like um great they, like, like i said they're new metal incarnate and i think this is one of the best songs from that era yeah i fucking I fucking love this. And I tell you what, as well, I'm going to point this out because just a minute ago, with Union Underground, oh, this was their big hit. Turns out it's their third biggest hit. Whereas here we're going, oh, Spine Shank, not really a one-hit wonder. When you look at the stats on Spotify, right, 22,505,214 listens to New Disease. I reckon about 11 million of them and me. Um, <laughs> their second biggest song is Beginning of the End, which is not even on this album. That is on the self-destructive path think the album's called uh mm. which has got 10 million listens right and then synthetic has only got 6 million 352,771 listens so synthetic is considerably considerably far away from new disease so i mean i don't know i don't know if like it's weird now because you're going well does streaming really reflect 
what happened back in the day. Certainly for me, I do think, yeah, New Disease and Synthetic were both considered kind of big songs by Spine Shank at the time. Whereas now, I mean, New Disease is just ramped and run away with, you know, on, on streaming services from being their, their biggest song by by a fucking mile. Um, 84, it got to in the UK singles chart. It's, would have wanted a bit more than that, really. But um, yeah, I, I love this song. There's two things about this song that I, I love. Number one, when I was trying to, when we did Last Resort once, I was trying to put a sort of DJ set together. And um, I found out that, you know, that bit of the That's end a new metal did, club yeah. night that we used to DJ, by the way, for those yeah, that yeah. aren't specifically yeah. from the London metal media scene. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, there's that bit at the end where it goes, and it still becomes a new disease. That bit at the end where it just goes, you can, it is exactly the same as the start of Rhythm is a Dancer by Snap. And so I was going, how do you get that? Like when it kind of it all cuts out and it's just that guitar bit, how do you get it to go? <laughs> still be you could mash up. Somebody mash up. New Disease by Spine Shank and uh, Rhythm is Dancer by Snap. That's the, fuck, that'd be, that's the fucking banging mashup. And the other thing I like about it is at your stag the other week, we went, <laughs> we went if you don't mind me telling the story from your stag day, it's nothing particularly uh, embarrassing, but... We went to um, went to a rock club night and we were the, literally the only people in there. And I went up to the DJ straight away and went, have you got any spine shank? <laughs> any spine shank. Think of that. And have you got any spine shank? Oh, I've only got beginning of the end. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, he, and he went, oh, I'll have to have a look. I went, I want new disease by spine. I requested it. I want new disease by spine shank. And it was that, like, it was like 10 in the evening, so there was literally nobody there. And the next song, he put it on, and we all got up and went fucking mental, didn't we? It was lovely stuff. So oh, I've got now... Got his... I wish I could Go remember. <laughs> to be that honest, happened. I wasn't good in a giveaway by then. That happened, that happened. It was like about five past 10 in an empty club. And this guy was just sort of warming up, going, oh, there's no one here apart from like eight kind of slightly tipsy looking people over there. And uh, all at least 10 years older than the target demographic as well. (laughs) (laughs) Dad dancing to Spine Shank. That's exactly what happened. Was this before or after you suplex someone in the club? Anyway, we shouldn't. (laughs) That was that was that was way before, way before. That was what that was what kicked it off. I reckon. I reckon if that guy had been gone, look. I'm not putting... You're going to have to save Spine Shank because that's for later in the night. You're too excitable at the moment. I can't put this on. You're way too excited. Yeah, it's fucking good. This is a great tune. This is a fucking great... This is a legit great fucking tune. If... If Marilyn Manson had released this around this time... Should we say Marilyn Manson? Because he's a bit of an arsehole. If one of the big new metal bands... One of the really big new metal bands have released this at this time. So Linkin Park had released this. I reckon they would have had a... I reckon it would be like, oh my God, this is a like a proper, legit, legendary Linkin Park banger. I really do think so, because it's got such a great chorus. And it's just driving. It's brilliant. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah, it, it is, it's a classic track. That, um, again, the video was on rotation loads on uh, on Crank TV and stuff. So I think that probably got them a lot of attention. And it was just it's just an absolute fucking tune. It's um, it's it's right up there, and I almost didn't even pick it. I don't know why I didn't pick it because this to me is the great example of there just being loads of really great, really fun, really well put together uh, metal songs just everywhere, all over the place, just getting produced and getting airplay, getting attention. You know, okay, eighty four in the UK singles chart isn't anywhere near as big as some of these other tracks, but 
it was just a cool time for songs like this and this is right up there right up there it's, it's funny that you dropped out uh, crazy town for for this which got like i said to number 84 and crazy town was like number three got to number one in america sold fucking millions isn't but but but, but is a bit crap i think it's a bit bum and um and this is brilliant this is much better just goes to show how unfair the music industry is anyway uh let's move on justice was... for spine shank justice for spine shank johnny santos uh, want... should have been done that song with uh with uh um paul oak and fold a couple of years later Not shifty yeah Shell definitely <laughs> yeah definitely i think next time they announce the nominees for the rock and roll hall of fame well these people are going where i made i'm gonna be like where's spine shank get spine shank yeah. in the rock and roll hall of fame where, where's spine shank at the brits <laughs> Here to induct Spineshank into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, please welcome the former bass player from Dry Kill Logic. <laughs> like, <laughs> sit, sit, sit down, the Beastie Boys. It's not your turn. Oh, they're already in, aren't they, the Beastie Boys? Anyway, let's move on. I, I could do a whole podcast on Spineshank, but I won't. Um, I then picked Alive by P.O.D. again. Controver- this is controversial. This is controversial. Released on the 31st of July 2001, the first single from the Christian rap metal band's fourth studio album, Satellite, got to number 19 in the UK, only number 41 in the US, which I was actually quite surprised about. And it was one of those songs, let's say, about the kind of clean living, posy new metal bands. When this stuff started coming in, rather than it being like, oh, I hate myself and I'm going to kill everything, and, and it all just being about kind of nihilism. P.O.D. came in. We're Christians. We're clean living. We don't want to spread negativity. We want to talk about the beauty of the world. I thought it was quite a weird thing to happen that was born from the, the kind of the nihilistic anger of a band like Korn end up spawning whatever P.O.D. were and Incubus and those sort of bands arriving in new metal. But you cannot deny that this song is an all-time banger. All-time banger. Weirdly, to me at least, this isn't even their biggest song on Spotify, which throws the doubt into are there one hit wonder not or, or thing. I mean, Youth of the Nation from the same album is far more popular than this, which I think is really weird, really weird to me. Yeah, I is think, but I think, I mean, it's kind of weird. I think, I mean, I don't think really, we, we're stretching quite a lot of like criteria on this list anyway, but. I don't think P.O.D. do count as a one-hit wonder because they did have at least two other big songs on that album and they have actually had a pretty solid career. Like, they played Rey Mysterio to the to the ring at WrestleMania not that long ago, I don't think. Uh, or maybe that was quite long ago now. I forget. But they've, they've got, they do his theme tune and they, they kind of managed to stay a thing, even though, to most people, they will always be the band that did Alive. And that's why I think they can squeeze into a list like this. Um, but I think a big part of that band's appeal, because, because Alive came out in the summer of 2000, uh, 2001, sorry, and then Youth as a Nation followed soon after. And those two songs uh, kind of bookended um, the uh, environment in America uh, around the September 11th attacks. And I think there was a real um, kind of need for some positivity and just like, you know, unity and stuff. Uh, and I think something about those, those songs just really spoke to people in America around that time. And I think that is a, the point where they kind of really started to accelerate and Satellites became like a massive album. So I think it just, I'm not going to say it came at the right time because of what happened, but it, I, think there, uh, I think there was a real 
um, connection that, that that POD made with people because uh, that's what they wanted at that time. And um, like you say, Steve, they were kind of a rare example of a band that wasn't, you know, preaching self-hatred and, and moaning about girlfriends or whatever. It was like, you know, mm. speaking to something a bit, a bit purer, even if it was on a Christian level of, on which I wouldn't normally kind of uh, connect with. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first time I heard PAD was before this. I remember them coming out with the, the I mean, it wasn't a debut album, but the fundamental, what's it called? The fundamental elements of Southtown. And I had a cover of Bullet with the Blue Sky by uh, by U2 on it. So I was kind of interested in them. And I know, sort of remember being like, yeah, no. And then, I mean, Alive was so fucking massive over here i mean again you know for people who are listening that aren't in the uk i appreciate like euthanation and boom i mean looking at them on the spotify euthanation has got 234 million plus streams and boom from this album as well has got 152 million plus streams alive has got 119 million so it is still more than 30 million streams away from their second biggest song let alone their biggest song but look here in the uk all i can tell you is really like euthanation i think made top 40 in the uk um alive made top 20 and really in the uk it is i know we've had this before with when people have gone like oh bare naked ladies aren't a one-hit wonder what are you talking about and it's like well in the uk unfortunately they absolutely are and i feel like pod are a, a one-hit wonder and i remember at the time due to liking quite kind of heavy angry music I hated this song. I hated it. And me and my mates used to take the piss out of it because we were like, oh, look at them. Oh, I feel so alive. Eh, fucking hippies and all this shit. But now, I, I I do think this song is massive. I mean, that riff is huge. And when that chorus comes in, I mean, you cannot deny that that chorus is humongous, gigantic. It's so big, right? It's one of the biggest choruses in the history of certainly new metal and possibly metal ever. It's just massive. And it's like, again, it, it hits the same kind of buttons that um, that Hero does that we were talking about earlier. It's just like, sometimes it's okay to just have a really fucking earnest linking arms together sing-along. And that's one of the very best songs for that. And there is something in it. It's weird because Last Resort kind of gives me a similar vibe. But Last Resort is obviously a very, you know, lyrically, it's a very kind of neg negative. I don't know if negative is quite the right word because it's about catharsis, I guess. But it's, you know, it's talking about, quite, you know, quite dark and visceral stuff, actually. Mm. Um, but there's something about Alive that just feels, it just makes me feel good to listen to it, man. It's a great tune. It would have definitely been a contender for my list as well if I could have squeezed it on. Um, uh, and, you know, they did have other hits. Youth of the Nation, I remember getting a lot of play on, on TV as well, the video for that. But Alive was just like, it's a next level tune. Again, it's on, it's it's in contention for the Mount Rushmore of like classic new metal club floor, um, dance, you know what I'm trying to say, rock club dance floor bangers. There we go. Mm. Yeah, it would be that, New Disease and pff, something else. Um, yeah, two man, Union it, Underground songs. Two Union Underground songs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is wicked and it's so, like, it, it makes me remember just how much of a fucking snob I was when I was 21 because I was just like, these guys are Christians. These guys aren't heavy. These guys are all like, nice to be nice. And it's like, that's not what metal's about. It should be about, you know, like crushing the system and blah, 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 all that stuff. And now I'm like, yeah, but the song's just really good. Yeah, the song's a good song's really, a good song. Really fucking good. Yeah, man, it just is so good. Anyway, P.O.D. Alive. Uh, we're going to... Uh, only move forward in turn in terms of um, 
of time to the 8th of June 2001, which is, you know, only a, about a week or so after uh, POD released this. But in terms of quality, I think we're dropping back some way. Giving In by Edema is your next pick. Uh, the lead single... No, it's not. Is, it's The Way You Like is, It. The Way You Like It. Oh, right. I thought it was Giving In. Oh, right, okay. Well, then even more um, unusual a pick because The Way You Like It is... The second single from Adima's self-titled debut album. Um, so, what was he? Uh, Geezer from Adima, Jonathan Davis's nephew or something? Marky Chavez, his name was. What was he? Is his stepson? Not his stepson. His stepbrother. Yeah, something like that. I think it might be stepbrother. I thought it was a brother. Um, the yeah, half brother of Jonathan Davis. He is. Hmm. Yeah, and again at this point, there's a fair, there's a little bit of this going on, as I've already mentioned, with like orgy and all, some of the other things we've talked about. But Edema, man, I just could not, I could not get any, I could not get into this band. Like I, I, I looked at it, this was a point where I was like, I am out now. I think I'm really, really out. I'm listening to Converge and the Dillinger Escape Plan, and this shit is just not going to fly with me. So I kind of went back and listened to Edema and was like, is this any good? And have I been harsh on it? Because I knew I was a fucking snobby little prick at the time. Um, anyway, it's your pick, mate. Go on. Give him the, yeah, give him I mean, the big I ups. I, I don't have anything because you know what? I didn't actually, this is one of the albums I didn't have. I didn't go out and buy this album. So this is very much just based on the tune. Um, but I just think it's a really fucking great song. I think it sounds really well produced. I think it's aged quite well in that respect. Um, and uh, uh, it's, I think, I actually think the song's aged quite well because it is a- absolutely a new metal landfill song. But there's something about, it's it's got this kind of propulsive, almost like, I can't really describe it. It's like, almost like there's kind of like quite sexy vibe to it. Like it's quite danceable and it's almost got like a kind of R&B kind of flow to it. The way they're like, the do, 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 do. like it's got this kind of, um, it's got this thing to it that I think would actually do quite well if it was released now. And it's the kind of thing a lot of bands have done since I think. And uh, me and my fiance were just playing through loads of videos and we were having a few beers um, together a few weeks ago. And I put this on and she'd never heard it before. She's like, well, she's only three years younger than me, but she was very much like an emo kid, you know, where I was a new metal kid. Again, just that, that little age difference makes all the difference. Um, mm. uh, and she really liked it. She was like, this song's really good. Like, I can't believe I've never heard this before. So I actually think as a song, it stays quite well. I think it could, it's the kind of thing that I could imagine a band doing now with the way a lot of bands write this kind of more like shiny kind of uh, beat driven style of metal. Um, but yeah, I haven't really got much, uh, much very insightful to say about it. Like they had, an, they had a, a career edema. They didn't totally disappear. This was definitely the era where people were interested in them. Obviously, the Jonathan Davis connection gave them a bit of a boost. Um, but I honestly, this is the kind of song that I think you could play in a club and people would really like get into it. You know, I think it's got a good hook and I think it's, I think it's aged quite well. He sounds like Jonathan. He, uh, does he sound like Jonathan Davis? Because obviously they share a lot of DNA. Or is he trying to sound like Jonathan Davis? That's the thing for me. It's like, is he going? Oh, I'm I'm related to Jonathan Davis. So if I kind of go like man, oh yeah, and all, and do all that kind of Jonathan Davis isms, then people are going mm. brilliant. I like Jonathan Davis, and you. So I like you too. Or, or 
is that just the Jonathan Davis DNA? That was always a thing I struggled with. Not the, the only thing, because like I say at this point I was I was so out of new metal. <laughs> I was like, I'm just not interested in any of these bands. I'm not going to be bothered by what they put out. It, it, it's I'd reached a saturation point definitely. But I was like, when I heard them, I do remember sort of being like, are you just doing an impression of your fucking stepbrother, or do you actually sound like that? That's the thing that I'm always like. With well, the, you, the, you the don't know if, you know, I don't know who the producer on the record was, but you don't know if someone else has tried to bring that out of him more and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. But I yeah, think actually, true. to talk of Corn, I think if Corn had a song like this on Untouchables, I think people would go, yes, yeah, it's a good Torn song. This is like a banger. It doesn't really sound like Corn as such, but it's got that no. kind of like those weird kind of, uh, those kind of like wee wee kind of electronic elements that Corn were doing around that time. Um, and I think that, uh, like, I think if this had a bit more kind of fieldy bass like, underpinning it and stuff, I think it would be seen as a pretty good Corn song from that era. Okay. I mean, it got to number 27 on the US Billboard 200. Again, like now, it just seems mad to think because people cared about the charts back then as well. And like, I mean, if you were to list like the greatest ever new metal bands, you'd list a lot before you got to Edema. And yet, yeah, this album sold a million copies worldwide. 500,000 copies in the US. Like that's, again, you know, like the same with Chakra, that's nothing to be sniffed at. Like I'm sure they're doing all right having sold a million copies of just this one single record and yet they probably are i mean would you even say they're a b-list new metal band to me they're like a uh they, they, they I might guess it they're d-list yeah they're pretty far down the pecking order i mean you know your a-listers are like limbiscuit papa roach etc and then your b-list i guess would be bands like you know someone like pod would probably be on that because they're not like you know they, they didn't really transcend the new metal scene and then yeah below that I'd, I'd put them above Union Underground in the pecking order, but but certainly below. Uh, well, they're probably they're probably big. They're probably more famous than Spine Shank, to be honest. They were probably a bigger deal in the grand scheme of things, selling all those records and stuff. So yeah, I don't know. They're quite a hard band to place in that sense because they didn't do too badly, all things considered. Uh, three hundred ninety-eight thousand six hundred ninety-seven monthly listeners. I don't know what we can glean from that particularly. Spine Shank, about a hundred thousand less. So, although New Disease has got more listens than any of Edema's songs, it is really hard to know. It is hard to know where you'd put them. I mean, again, you know, like, so much of this is about what you remember at the time. Yeah, yeah. You, like, for me, Edema would be, like, one of the sort of punchline bands. I think I think that Spine Shank would have been, you know, we talk about like Garibo New Metal versus like slightly shinier, more acceptable New Metal. And I think Spine Shank would definitely more of a Garibo New Metal band for sure. I think that Edema, you know, uh, not being horrible about Joey Santos or whatever, but they had like a better looking singer. They had that kind of, like I say, there was kind of like a slightly sexier thing about them. If that, that sounds like a mad thing to say about this kind of music, but there was just, I think, a bit more marketable, a bit shinier. Uh, more kind of danceable you could see you could imagine people kind of properly like you know grinding to this song in a club or whatever like i just think it's got a bit more of that whereas spine Chank is just like bang 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 you know it's like a whole different thing yeah that's true that is true uh anyway yeah i mean i probably won't be going back to edema i've got to be honest but that's fine um talking to grebo bands fuck me uh, now this one this is definitely like, I love this my next pick is Just So You Know by American Head Charge which came out on the yes. 27th of May 2002 this is the lead single from their second studio album um, 
The Art of War. They also had the patronage of Slipknot. I think Clown from Slipknot managed them or had something to do with them. I can't really remember. He's in the video as well for this. He's in the video as well. And this is produced by Rick Rubin. They were on American Recordings. Uh, Label mates with Tom Petty and Johnny Cash. Of course they were. Of course they were. That's how fucking mad this time was. At the time, again... I don't remember really caring that much about American Head Charge when they first arrived. It, it was another one of those those bands where you were like, oh, they're dressing weird and they all look a bit weird. And, you know, Slipknot came out and then, you know, Mudvayne and Mushroom Head and American Head Charge and Motor Grater and bands like that came after them. And it made me go like, oh, you're just sort of trying to do that. But then I can't remember when I heard this and just went, oh, my God, this is a total fucking banger and i sort of hesitate to say this is a hit in any real way really it's not really a hit at all because it doesn't seem to have charted anywhere but going back to it and a band like like a bit like boy hits car i remember being like oh, i'm not sure about this and then now i actually like oh they're really really good and underrated um they're great and it's got all the kind of weird patterny vocal parts and when it gets heavy it gets really fucking heavy like this is class this song well good isn't Mate, it? it's a world-class song. And i tell you what, I can I can fill in some gaps here, really, because I was banging to this when this came out. I love this album. I, I own the album. Um, it had that, uh, you know, like the American records, CDs and spines all look the same. A lot of people might not mm. know that, but they, they, all, they all had the same. So even like the System of a Down first album and stuff, they all had the exact same CD design, which is just a weird tick that fans have. And I remember the American yeah. Head Charge um, album having that. And uh, I remember this came out. And this was one of those videos like i mean you're right you could sit back and go well slipknot have kind of done this and mudvayne have done that and this is kind of a bit also around in the whole thing of like oh they're like they look weird and stuff but me and my mates like i was 14 i think when this came out and it was like at the peak of my new metal era um and you know this is this is a new metal song but it's also something a bit different as well it's not it's not kind of a big danceable like you know banger in the same way um it's quite kind of a dark and kind of um like grandiose song in a lot of ways uh, and i remember like me and my friend sam um that uh, i used to go around his house because he had sky so we could watch uh kerrang tv and scuzz and all of that uh and i remember the like seeing this video and just being like what the fuck is this what are they why is clown in this video this is amazing um and one of the first big metal gigs i ever went to was actually ramstein at the uh london arena in 2002 i think it would have been um after uh Mutter came out and um, <laughs> Raging Speedhorn were the opening band on that bill, which is really that is. A... They had to be. They they had to open for literally fucking everybody back back in those days. So that that would be why that happened. Yeah. Yeah, and it was it was very weird seeing them on that massive stage. But then the middle band was American Head Charge, and like me and my mates were like obviously pumped for Ramstein because we knew it was going to be a massive show and stuff. But we were properly like American Head Charge supporting Ramstein. This is like a dream tour, you know. We were really excited about it. Um, and they were really good as well. I remember the keyboardists kept on trying to stage dive, but there weren't quite enough people near the front of the stage at that point because obviously they were the, you know, the, the support, not the main band. Um, but yeah, th- so not only is this song an absolute banger, but the whole album is really, really good. Like pushing the envelope is really great. A violent reaction is great. Seamless is a great tune. Like they are a massively underrated band, and I can't remember exactly what happened with them. I think someone died in the band. Something weird went down. But like I, I think they could have been. Uh, not like a massive deal necessarily, but they could and should have been more than they were because that is a genuinely great um, first album, that record. Mm. They're pretty much, I think with the exception of Pitch Shifter, the, the smallest band 
that we're currently talking about pretty much i mean just so you know has got uh, just over 10 million listens and then it drops right down like 3 million for a violent reaction and when you think of like you know spine shank having 22 million and edema having 19 million stuff like that you, you do think that like i don't know american head charge yeah they did just have a little bit more kind of critical clout than those bands but they never really had any kind of hit at all but this song and yeah they were the, a the proper grebo band though like we talk about grebo yeah. new metal they were probably the most grebo new metal band on this list like they would be playing like like they would get booked for like you know like that insane clown posse festival where you just get the real like kind <laughs> of rednecky dirty metal bands playing they get booked for stuff like that that sounds like a bit dismissive of them because i think they were really good but like that's their crowd they ain't like, like i've never heard just so you know get played at like a a kind of dancey new metal club night ever it's just not that kind of track no no it's really not uh martin cock the vocalist was called i always remember thinking <laughs> that was funny uh is that his real name martin cock you reckon can't be probably not probably he not. must have been fuming anyway. when kobe dick came out Oh, that's yeah. my thing. <laughs> and um, uh, and uh, I remember uh, Brian Nobbs from uh, the Nasty Boys. <laughs> and and Johnny Penis. Us. I just made that one up. Yeah, Brian Nobbs is a he's from the Nasty Boys. They should start a band. Brian Nobbs, Martin Cock, Kobe Dick, and uh, Phil. I don't Wang, think Americans the call penises knobs, do they? I think that's very English. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well. The, in the classic tradition of American bands just getting a cult following in England, that'd help them out. Yeah, Americans wouldn't get it, but that's that's fine. To America all the time. Uh, I, yeah, mate, this is a fucking great song, and there's so many great bits in it as well that um, that I just think uh, it's it, it's got like I know you said it's like, it is a Grebo song, but it's actually got loads of like wicked pop hooks on it. The whole like, you can that, and you can help me, you can get out. Like, that bit's fucking amazing. And all I want was something. That's the fucking massive hook. Like, it's got a whole bunch of killer hooks on it, this song. I think it's really good. Mm. Um, Lord only knows what happened to him. Who knows? I was about to look then, but I mean, it's, I, some things are best left unknown, I think. And, and I, th- I think, yeah. American Head Charge is one of them. I think it is documented. I think I know that they had a member that I'm pretty sure they had a member that passed away, and it just like it, like loads of bad shit happened at exactly the worst time, and they just couldn't capitalise, which I do think is a shame. I know they have released other records, but it's just you know, it's not the same. Oh uh, yeah, I have actually just seen. Uh... Oh yeah, yeah, somebody died. Anyway, um, we'll move on. <laughs> uh, just so you know, by American Head Charge is a fucking rager. Uh, here's one. I tell you, again, we're going to have the same conversation about is it the big hit? You've gone for Crawling in the Dark by Huberstank, released on the 2nd of October 2001, the first track and lead single from Mini Brandon Boyd, or whatever his name was, and his oddly named band and their self titled debut album. Um, obviously, Huberstank, the reasons, the, the big song, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this was a this is one where I've definitely bent the rules of what consists of a one-hit wonder because not only are Hoobstank definitely not a one-hit wonder, they've actually had a pretty successful career. I think they're still quite big in the States and, like, the reason is far and away their biggest ever song. But when this song was released, like, I think this... I mean, when did this come out? 2002, did you say? 2001. 2001. October 2001. So, so I think this song uh, uh, has lasted so well and is special to a certain 
um, kind of portion of rock fans because I think it works for new metal fans and I think it works for emo fans as well. I think it does tap into that kind of vibe with the way his voice sounds and the, and the kind of hooks of it. Um, but the, the, when you go back and look at the video, the video was kind of in those kind of like uh, low kind of greens and greys and stuff that was massive in the metal scene when it came to music videos around that time. It's definitely a new metal era song. And it, most of what they've done since hasn't really been anything like that. So it's almost like they're a kind of one hit wonder in the sense that they kind of hooked everyone in with a new metal track, but then actually they're not, you know, they're nothing, you know, you can't compare their look or their style or their career trajectory to bands like, um, you know, Spine Shank and the Dima and all that. They're a whole different kind of fish. But Crawling in the Dark is, for me, that is definitely on my Mount Rushmore of songs from this era. Definitely. It'll probably be my first round pick for it, to be honest. It is a colossal tune. The chorus is one of the biggest choruses in all of that era of heavy music. Um, and the kind of, like, the bridge at the end, like, how much further do I have to go? Like, it's a huge tune. Absolutely massive. I think it might be the kind of biggest song on my list, to be honest, in that sense. Um, so it had to go in. Yeah, I mean, look, you're right. This is not as big as a reason. It doesn't, like, look at their stats on Spotify, which I hadn't actually done until right now. I am stunned to see they've got over 9 million monthly listeners. Uh, the reason has 784 million plays on Spotify. 784. We did something once talking about what is the biggest gap between your biggest song and your second biggest song and you know talking about like robin thick and blurred lines and his next song's got like uh, about 1.3 percent of the amount of listens as blurred lines or whatever even though that's a horrible awful song terrible song. um crawl in the dark has 110 million 375,884 so it's it's literally got 670 odd million less plays which is fucking nuts because again call me ignorant 2001 october 2001 i wasn't bothered by this really this got to number 47 in the uk and number 68 in the us the reason a couple of years later it gets number 12 in the uk number two number two number two in the us i mean anyway call me ignorant but i can allow it because this is the only huber so song i remember at all i don't even really remember the reason i don't really remember that being a hit at all i only remember crawling in the dark and i was like oh it's um yeah brandon boyd's younger brother the singer or something he's something is he? connection with ink i think so yeah i'm pretty sure like at the time it was just like oh it's brandon boyd from incubus's little thing you know i mean and, and so i went in being like because i hated incubus at the time because they'd recently sold out quote unquote to me so i was like oh no i won't like this and i was like oh it's another one of these sort of like paparochi new metal songs I didn't really like it. But going back to it, I think you're right. I think this actually is a really good song. It's not particularly made me want to check out any more Hooberstank. But if it is like them doing new metal for the only time or their kind of version of new metal, like, you know, like you say, it is much more like that POD stadium sized, massive, anthemic, cleaner version of new metal rather than like, you know, Spine Shank and American Head Charge or whatever. I think this is a good song. I don't like love it in the same way as i love some of the other songs i think it's pretty fucking good i mean i think if you put this next to a live i think a live is considerably better considerably better i don't think it is i think they're on the same level i think a live's got a live's heavier but i think for kind of 
like there's an urgency to the to the to crawling in the dark that I think you know you can imagine singing it while you're fucking crowd surfing along to it. Do you know what I mean? It's got that kind of thing to it. Um, I'd put them in the same bracket. I don't think I don't know about that Brandon Boyd thing, by the way. I've just looked into that and I can't see anything saying there's any relation there at all. Well, okay. Well, one of them. Let me go in and have a look. I'm getting. A I think someone from now. Incubus might have helped them get signed, but I don't know if there's any relate like personal relation or friendship going on there. Uh, but anyway, yeah, while, you're, Je- while you're looking at that, I'll uh, I'll just talk about the song some more. I just think it's really fucking great. And I think um, it's got, I just think that little extra bridge before the final chorus that it's got in it as well, like gives it a bit of extra something because Alive is brilliant, but it is very much first chorus, first chorus. Like this has a little bit more to it that I think just makes it a bit more uh, epic. Um, you know, I'm not saying I would definitely put it above Alive, but if we were ranking all 10 of these songs that we picked, I would demand it gets a look in at top three. I think it's that good. Wow. Wowzers. Um, you definitely fact, like it more than... Just as a final additional thing, uh, for my Spotify wrapped last year, I've just remembered this. This is more uh, examples of me listening to very specific songs when I'm really drunk. But um, when I went down my uh, the, the playlist that it made me, uh, you know, it does your playlist of your most streamed songs. I got all mm. the way... I was quite pleased because my first 49 tracks were all songs from last year. So I was like, 49 songs were all tunes that had come out of that year that I'd been listening to the most. And then at number 50, the first song that was an older track was Crawling in the Dark by Hooverstank, which I didn't even think I'd listened to that much last year, but apparently I did. So there you go. Wow. Um, apparently one of them played saxophone on Science Bank. I'm sure I remember. I have. I can't have invented that. If I've invented that, what a weird thing to invent. Oh, Hooverstank and Incubus were like related. That's a really weird. That's a really weird thing to invent. But yeah, you're right. I can't find it anywhere, so uh, I I might be wrong. But that's the only thing I ever thought about them. Oh, they're mini incubus, um, and then I just sort of never paid attention to it again. But it is good. This song, it is good. It's definitely good, and I think it's certainly much better than I remember it being. Uh, I still, like for me, yeah, top three is is crazy. I think when you think of some of the stuff that we've had, top three is crazy. But I'll have. I think I think a lot of people would back me on that. I can think of mutual acquaintances that will bat hard for this song. Actually, I think okay. it's. Uh, I think it's. It maybe to a slightly different demographic. Like it, it. It's not a metal hammer new metal song like you were saying. It's no. definitely a different demographic. But I think it's. Um, I think it's aged really well. And again, if that it's one of those songs where if it was released now, I think it would be a big hit. Yeah, it Still. probably would. To be fair, um, I have gone for my final pick. Is fucking ridiculous. Released on the 27th of January 2003, I've chosen the lead single from uh, the US, I don't even really know what they are, the self-titled debut album of Hot Action Cop, Fever for the Flavor. Uh, It was used on Need for Speed Hot Pursuit 2 on the PlayStation 2, Xbox and GameCube, which (laughs) dates it somewhat, I think. Got to number 41 in the UK, but number 13 in Australia. And it was also the 100th best-selling single of 2003, in Australia, it begs the question. Much as I started off, were Pitch Shifter a new metal band? Was Genius a, a, a new metal song? Hot Action Cop, Fever for the Flavor. Wh- was this new metal? I have no idea. But I think by 2003, we'd reached a place where new metal as a genre had become so big and so adopted by the mainstream that it was kind of hard to tell what was new metal and what wasn't and you could say hot action copper got a bit of like funk metal funk rock alt rock um pop punk 
skate punk there are all kinds of things that are in there as well i don't really know anything else about them other than this song i just remember hearing this song it's fucking ridiculous total stupid frat boy nonsense daft as shit but it's a banger it's just such a banger no I'm not sure about this one, Steve. I, I don't I don't remember this song coming out, really. Well, actually, I kind of do, because weirdly, when I looked up, I was like, I can't even remember how that tune goes. And then when I saw the artwork, I was like, oh, no, I do remember this coming out, actually. I think I remember it being reviewed and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'll actually go on further than saying that New Metal had got that big. I actually think the New Metal bubble had properly burst by 2003, because, you know, the, three years is a long fucking time in music. And you think... When Limp Bizkit put out um, Chocolate Starfish, Sicker Park put out Hybrid Theory, that was as big as it got. You know, Biscuit selling a million albums in a week and all this kind of stuff. Just insanity. Hybrid Theory becoming the biggest selling debut album of the 21st century. Madness. Absolute madness. And I think, you know, going from the age of 14 when I was just getting into that music, I was like, oh, this stuff's really good. But then being one of the people that actually went further into metal, you know, Metal Hammer became my Bible and it was just... By, by kind of 2002, for instance... In fact, the same um, Kerrang! CD that my final pick for, for this list was on, that we're going to talk about in a bit, was the same CD that I had System by In Flames for the first time. So I got into In Flames on that album. So by 2003, I think, you know, I was into like melodic death metal and stuff. And by the time Biscuit Power Results may vary, for instance, I was already a bit like, oh, I don't really care about them Biscuit at this point. Do you know what I mean? So stuff like Hot Action Cop, I was properly like, don't, this is not on my radar at all. And listening back to it now, I mean, this ain't getting near my top five on this list put it that way <laughs> yeah look it's fucking stupid I mean it is a stupid thing but I think like so September 2003 Results May Vary came out and I think you could argue that that was the absolute like that's it it's, it's done now it's done this came yeah. out in January and I think you know okay. you would also like this is it was that period where like, like I said nothing by A I guess you could chuck in like Fat Lip by some 41 um there were a few of these bands like, like opm um you know heaven is a half pipe by opm and stuff like that and like to be really clear you know if you think i didn't like edema i fucking hated all that shit as well like i was listening to you know like i was not listening to this type of music at all <laughs> and i cannot remember why i heard fever for the flavor and went huh that's pretty good um and i bought it on single and for some reason it has just stuck with me i don't listen to it all the time but i listen to it probably a weird amount do you know what i mean like you know when you just go cool i'm not sure i should be listening to this song as much as i actually do listen to it and sometimes i get it on i just i don't know it just it it's got a bit of that Bloodhound Gang. I mean, this has got 22 million plays on Spotify as well. And I reckon I might be about 9 or 10 million of them. Um, <laughs> and I've only listened... And, and it always goes from that song into the next song, which has got 6 million listens, called Going Down On It, right? And I think most people listen to Fever for the Flavor and then it those 6 million listens are it flicking on to Going Down On It and someone plays the first eight seconds of it and then they go, oh, fuck this. And they turn it off and never listen to anything else by them because it's bad. And they are like proper, I mean, looking at pictures of them as well, they are like real, they don't look like a new metal band. They look like dorks. You know what I mean? Like they've got kind of, they look like sort of a 
the like the, the cast of the American remake of the Inbetweeners or something. Do you know what I mean? They they they're not they don't look cool and they don't look they don't even look weird. They just look like absolute normal like guys in glasses and t-shirts and stuff. So again, I'm not even entirely sure this is new metal, but I think because it comes from that school of like I guess Beastie Boys and it is some kind of rap rock crossover thing, but but done solely just to get in the charts right like this is not this isn't sabotage by the beastie boys or anything like it's it's not that um but it's so fucking stupid and it's so catchy i just remember being like yeah you're 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 the you're the daftest ones and so i'll i, I kind of respect that you are in this incredibly stupid genre that it got to like being incredibly stupid by 2003 you are the stupidest thing and I still find myself going, oh yeah, oh pretty pretty child, whoop whoop. Like it's got too many <laughs> just stupid one hit wondery like catchy bits on it. I'm bang into it. Like I, to my shame, I'm bang into it. Yeah, mate. There's no shame here. I don't think anyone should be embarrassed about liking it. I mean, new metal is not a, uh, you know, if you're gonna be a snob about anything like like this this is not the podcast episode for you do you know what i mean but um yeah i just think i've got i've got no nostalgic links to it at all like i do some of these other tracks because like i said by the time it came out i was a bit like you know i started to become a bit more of a snooty metalhead do you know what i mean so i was just not interested in this kind of stuff by that point um and uh you know it's just it's just a ridiculous song and i do think it came you're right january 2003 not too far after the fact but really for me 2000 and 2001 are the peak years. I don't mean in quality, but in terms of new metal just being the biggest thing in the world. And I think once you get even into 2002, like this next song we're going to talk about, I think even by then it's starting to trail off as like, you know, the the kind of you know you My Chemical Romance were turning up on the scene not long after this, you know, and the whole there was a big sea change. Um, so I think this is a little bit after the fact for what we're talking about, but like you know, 22 million streams can't be wrong, I suppose. So there you go. Yeah, even though I'm most of them, to be fair. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's super cat, you know. Uh, and also the video, the video is horrible. If any of you have watched the video, the video is horrible on quite a few levels, actually, because it's quite kind of leery towards girls, which, you know, was a thing back then, definitely. Um, it's quite a leery video, but it's also got them, they're playing, their faces are superimposed onto somebody's small intestine in the video and <laughs> it's really crap like early 2000 cgi and it's it's just pretty rank really but still like it i'm still having it <laughs> for the flavor by action cop fine is it better than Huberstank? don't know that's that's for other people to say isn't it really <laughs> but you look like someone's wafting a dog shit underneath your nose that even suggests that that might be the case um right your final pick Taproot Poem, released on the 14th of October 2002 in the US and the 16th of December 2002 in the UK. This is the first single from the Michigan metal band's second album, Welcome. Um, I got this one wrong when when you suggested uh, Taproot. My initial my my mind went somewhere else and it wasn't to this song, which is pretty weird because this is this is their biggest song quite comfortably in it. Yeah, it is, yeah. And um, this is a bit of a, uh, I feel like it's a little bit of a step down in terms of, you know, insight or being able to talk about it in any meaningful way compared to some of these other songs because 
but that all said, I think it's kind of fitting because I feel like this was the last real kind of new metal banger that I was really into from that that landfill scene. Um, and, uh, you know, it inadvertently helped me get into a lot of other metal music because by, you know, by the end of 2002, um, I'd really started to hone my tastes. Uh, I still like new metal a lot. Um, but I was also into bands like Fear Factory and like I was really into like System of a Down and Slipknot and stuff by that point. So that was like, you know, new metal adjacent, sure. But I was kind of like moving away from just picking up CDs based on one song that, uh, you know, one catchy new metal song that I'd seen on Kerrang TV or whatever. Um, but I really liked this tune. It came out and this is one of the worst ones that I really, really liked. And uh, we, it was actually on a Kerrang end of year CD um, that I picked up. Uh, in what would have been December and I picked it up because it had this song on it because again I'd seen the video get played um, and I just thought it was an absolute tune so I picked up that uh, issue and one of the first songs on that was System by In Flames um, which got me into uh, In Flames and then that got me into like Soil Work and Arch Enemy and all of a sudden I was getting into like extreme metal and stuff um, so this Taproot song like I think it is a really good tune it's a bit there's not much to it it's just you know fairly you know, run of the mill, rid of the road, new metal banger. Um, but it holds a special place in my heart because it was definitely the kind of bookend of that era of my life. And, and thanks to that track, I ended up going and getting into a shit ton of other stuff. Because, um, you know, by 2002, stuff like Alive or Just Breathing had come out and I was banging to that. So this is very much the end of an era for me. Mm. Yeah, do you know, it's weird because it would have, this totally passed me by. So I thought you were going to pick again and again. Uh, from their, I don't know what album, it was their second or first album, Gift, and it's their first major label album, Gift, which came out in 2000. That's only got 3 million monthly listens. This has got 40, sorry, 3 million, month, 3 million streams. This has got 40 million streams, and then their next one's got like 6,400,000. So it's like 34 million times <laughs> Uh, or 34 million more streams than the next one, which is Calling, which again, not familiar with this. But Taproot were like a band who, I mean, there's some serious hype around Taproot. I remember when GIF came out in 2000. And I, you know, again and again, I thought was like the big one. They had some real hype. There's some, uh, there's that answer phone message from Fred Durst uh, on that album, Gift, where Durst, Fred Durst is like threatening to, you know kill them or not kill them but like you know stop them from ever releasing music and ruin their career because they decided not to sign to flip interscope um which was fred durst's label and uh they support death tones of lincoln park at that big london arena show and i know someone who's favorite ever band the taproot but that's kind of all i knew about them i never yeah do I know. you know the bass player in taproot or something <laughs> yeah uh but i i had no idea they even had another i didn't remember this i sort of remember them having another album coming out but i don't really remember anything about it other other than that kind of the, the gift era and then they had another album let alone with such a massive song on it um i think this is pretty good i think it's i think it's pretty good i think the riff's really good it's got all the hallmarks of like classic new metal all the hallmarks of classic new metal um it's even got a little bit of David Draymond like in there, isn't it? Like I think he does a little bit of that shit as well. Yeah, I think this is pretty good. I mean, mate, honestly, I'd never heard this song before. That's I find that crazy. I mean, this was not on the level of an Alive or anything like that. It was nowhere near or like a Crawling in the Dark. This was not as big as that. And like I said, it kind of came along once the new metal 
gravy train had kind of left the station really but um but uh, uh yeah i think it's a really good tune i think it doesn't quite have the propulsiveness or the kind of energy or the real like anthemic quality of a lot of the other songs we've talked about like it doesn't really make you want to like bang your head or like throw your arms out and sing along in a really big way but i know i think it's a good tune i still like it if i hear it i'm happy to hear it uh, me and l from uh, who is now the editor of metal hammer uh, uh talk about this song sometimes it's definitely a shared um love uh and you know i think i think that even though they did have a bit of hype around them beforehand which i didn't know about they weren't on my radar at all at that point i think they this definitely fits the kind of one hit wonder criteria as that um as those streaming numbers show hmm got to number 92 on the uk singles chart hence why i probably you know i yeah because I, that album came out there's a lot of hype i didn't listen to it and so i just took no i paid no attention to them when uh, when the next album came out but there you go that's it we should say by the way i put a tweet out actually saying you know what are your favorite new metal one hit wonders um because we've missed a lot out right but that, you know there was there were this is how crazy this fucking period was that you know we've arguably not even spoken about some of the biggest hits from that era and a lot of those about you know obviously people like biscuit and lincoln park are more than just one hit wonder bands but when you go through it like so um had a few luke morton editor of kerrang's picked new disease by spine shank copying us didn't he copying us little rat um <laughs> uh <That's> <laughs> i do respect you luke i i do respect you but we've already picked new disease you, sh- you should really have known that we're going to. um quite a few people have actually uh brad is 77 says i have two words for you brook brook deng so i think he's referring to dig by mudvayne there which is one i was like ah can you because that i kind of stalled on that can you can't a mudvayne one hit wonder i'm not really sure they are uh, no they're not because that's not even their biggest song or their trademark song and they've had a career but i would say you know in terms again we've done that throughout this whole episode though right yeah exactly and i think when, yeah. when you're thinking of what what the rules are for this i think you're thinking of someone you are someone who was into new metal at the time they remember some of the songs from that era you know dig was on them mother buzzcocks and stuff right like they remember tunes from that era and you go right you know you're at a club night you haven't listened to rock music for 20 years but you, you can put some songs on from back in the day what are you gonna put on and they would definitely be like oh yeah put on that really crazy song with the guy who looked like a raspberry in it or whatever do you know what i mean like they definitely <laughs> qualify yeah i think i think they were pretty pissed off i didn't pick it now um we had a few people talking about spine shank actually in new disease um matt's cousin said that as well as luke um mark a and m both said just so you know by american head charge here's one elliot i love them and they're still around but nobody by skin dread mm, no you can't count that i mean i would count that as a new metal song but again came after the fact they weren't part of that scene like they 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 live in two different places entirely for me and you think like you know obviously like warning is surely their big actually i'm sure nobody probably is their biggest song on streaming services but like warning like they, they're more than a one at one but definitely aren't they for sure of course uh, they are. They're, they're like have their bit they've had their most success as a band way after nobody came out yeah uh shane Begg says the key to gramercy park by dead sea i don't know what that is i remember dead sea i think that shares uh somebody who's related to shares oh, you're obsessed uh, with this stuff i'm sure yeah, but they all were He's not related they? to brandon boyd <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was shares kid um uh dead sea i'm sure sh- i'm sure i'm sure yeah, I, th- I think you're right on that one um because there's a funny story about 
Uh, oh, I can't remember it now. There's someone in another new metal band who ended up around Cher's house, and there's quite a funny anecdote that's quite well known. I can't remember who it is now. So that's just a shit story, sorry. <laughs> no, I do. You are right. But I don't know that song at all. No, me neither. I, I never listened to Dead Sea. Um, also, just the title of that song just does not sound like a new metal song, does it? It doesn't sound like a song that should be no. uh, a new metal title. No. Um, Tom B has said Double X Minus by 5.0. I remembered that right. I nearly, I nearly slotted that in because they were a funny band. They were another one of those Roadrunner bands, and they opened up on the Road Rage tour in two thousand and, I think it was the end of two thousand two. Um, it was the one where Jesse Leach had left the band just before they came over to Europe, and so Howard Jones joined the band and then came and did those shows. And they opened up at the mm. Astoria, and I think I've actually got that record again. Double X minus, absolute banger. I mean, Chukka Kapow is one of the most ridiculous things anyone's ever said at the start of a song. Um, and I don't think, I mean, I don't know what happened to them. They got signed by Roadrunner, disappeared immediately. Absolutely. Like that, maybe more than any other single band on this whole list, that is a new metal one hit wonder. Because, like, I don't even know what they were or where they went. Yeah. I mean... Great uh, Yeah, that is... I, I don't even think I know it. Um, Jack... Uh, sorry, Jack, I'm going to butcher your name here. Jack Olchalski. Jack Olchalski. I think that's how you say it. And Loom and Gloom, at Loom and Gloom, have both gone for Bodies by Drowning Pool, which yeah. Yeah. 100%. Is, is a fair pick, I think. I mean, look, Drowning Pool are silly. They're definitely not good. I'm not even sure that song is quote-unquote good. But fuck me, if it comes on anywhere, I will do the, I will do the thing. I will do the the fucking the new metal bob your head up and down like fucking fist pump all that shit like it. It's one of those ones that I I don't want to like it, but I kind I can't deny it. I do. Let the bodies hit the floor. All that shit. You just and one nothing wrong with me. Like it's just it's so daft, but it, it is it is fucking. I, I have literally taken part in a conga line to that song at a club night once. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. Uh, both Andy Lamb and Mr. Strub have said Halo by Soil. That's a big yeah. miss in it. It was on my it was on my short list. And again, I think it's a funny one because that again came after the new metal boom, really. New metal was kind of not the the thing when when the, oh they actually when did Scars come out? That might have been two thousand one that album. I'm not uh, sure now that I said that. I think it was I think it was two thousand I think it was I think it was 2000 because it was Metal Hammer's album of the year in 2000. Is no, it right? Am I am pretty Hold sure. Or, I'm Wikipedia or maybe now. Sorry if you can hear me clicking away at home. Yeah, new, 2001 that came out. So actually, so, I take yeah. that back. That was right in the middle. But I think because Ryan McCombs had like long hair and there's this kind of like almost like post Pantera kind of groove metal feel to some of it. I'd like it never quite sits purely in the new metal bracket for me in the way that like an edema or a taproot do but um yeah one hit one that absolutely no offense to soil i know they had a bit of success with like a woe black betty cover that they put out a few years later like that did all right but like it ended with that i saw them they played halo and i was like well that's out then and then they they played black betty i was like no 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 you got to end on you're not you got to end on halo surely um swamp coffin has said nothing by a i i mean look they're not a new metal band. Yes, I think you can put it in as a new metal banger. I, I pers- take personal offence to someone 
call in A a one-hit wonder because they're, they're in the Hooper think... stunt category of like they've had a successful career. They've got loads of stuff. I don't. I wouldn't say they're as <laughs> I would say Hooper stunk are as good as A overall or anything like that. But they are. But they had that one song which just got sucked into new metal, and that's where you know that's where that sits. It's a cracking song. Nothing. I don't think it would make my top fifteen A songs, though, to be perfectly honest. But you know that's a that's a different story completely. Uh, someone said um, Rusty Spoons has said poem by Taproot as discussed. Wall of Sound, PR, POD, Alive. Yeah, uh, Wonder Whale, a Butterfly by Crazy Town. I'm sort of touching it a little bit. But I mean, I listen back to Butterfly. I don't actually think it's very good at all, to be honest. Well, ly- lyrically, sample. it's a it's a cheesy cringe mess like it's the you know it's juggalos trying to be romantic do you know what i mean like it is not good in that respect but i do genuinely think it is one of the best samples ever done by a kind of a big commercial i guess you could call it like a hip-hop song it's like Mm. you know it's massively outlived the original chili peppers track um and it's so good that aj tracy did the same thing uh was it last year or the year before he used the same sample so i think to be fair as a put together song i think it's really good but you know uh, the, the lyrics are just silly. Yes, pretty silly. Um, Duncan Shaw has said, um, "Last Resort." Nah, not not for a list like this. Papa Roach had like three other big songs just off the back of that. They had "She Loves Me Not" straight afterwards. They they've had loads Angel. of bangers. They don't count for a list like this. What's the one? There's no money. That's the best. Between one, angels yeah. and insects. Yeah, yeah that's a good song. That. Um, Kieran Tofter said, "Dry cells, body crumbles." I don't even know what that is, to be honest. No, I don't even know what order that band and song. I don't know which one's the band and which one's the song. In that. Yeah, me neither. Uh, James uh, has said, "Flybanger outshined." Was it even a hit? Barely in Canada, <laughs> mate. No idea. Um, the Union Underground, turn me on, Mr. Deadman, the best yeah. of Rasselcore. Uh, we've picked that. And Alien Ant Farm, Smooth Criminal, the best version, of course. <laughs> definitely, definitely the best version. Um, again, at, at Alien Ant Farm, not really a. I think you chuck movie because movies was a was a big hit as well, right? So I think they it was yeah. two hits. But it wasn't a new metal song, so again, that's in the POD category for me. Of like, they had yeah. other songs, but that was like the new metal banger that people will ask for. Yeah, fair. And Dan Morgan finally, um, as the the last. So this again was one that if I'd have thought about it, but again, I don't really consider this band particularly to be a new metal band. I think they kind of, they kind of straddled that line. Thirty Six Crazy Fists have some all time classics. Slip Wrist Theory, Bloodwork at the end of August. I mean, you've named three songs for what is supposedly meant to be a one-hit wonder here, Dan. So, you know, you stitch yourself up there. But, I mean, if you're choosing Slip Wrist Theory as a new metal song, it's fucking brilliant. I love that. That's a great tune. And I think 36 Crazy Fists are great. But they, again, have had more of a career. Uh, they weren't part of that thing. Nah, not Definitely really, not. were they? No, not at all. They, they, were, they were kind of in that poke because they were the other band on that Road Rage tour I just talked about. It was Killswitch, 36 Crazy Fists and 5.0. And um, I think they were quite a good, you know, because Metalcore was starting to take off in a big way then. And I think they were quite a good segue band. Like, I do think a lot of the people that came in through New Metal would have gravitated to a band like 36 Crazy Fists, but they weren't part of the New Metal landfill scene. You can put, like, good, like, some similar songs might tick a box or whatever, but they weren't in that pot of bands at all. Yeah, I think Slit Wrist Theory would be could be considered a new metal song. Yeah, you know, definitely, definitely. It's got all, it's got that Deftones thing. But anyway, it's a fucking great song. Yeah, you're right. They're good. I like them. Thirty Six Crazy Fist. So 
Good. Uh, anyway, that's it. That's all of the suggestions. Thank you, suggestions, guys. Thanks for coming on, Merlin. Appreciate that. Thank you for hope having you, me, mate. Hope you're... Um, well, I'll be there, won't I? I'll be there at your wedding. Are we allowed to talk? You don't have to talk about that if you want. No, no one else's business. A bit personal. Uh, but, you know. Getting than, married. Congratulations. Thank you very much. No, I'm, I'm excited. And I can guarantee that at least some of these songs we've talked about today will be getting played. Courtesy of our DJ who did used to run Last Resort Club. So it's going to be good. Big time. Big time. Big time. Big time. And um, and when he does drop Fever for the Flavour, I'll be <laughs> right up in your grill. Don't when you worry about When he does drop... That. Turn me on, Mr. Deadman. <laughs> <laughs> I stood on your parents' table, <laughs> bouncing <laughs> up and down, chucking drinks everywhere, suplexing people. Pushing grandma time. into the mosh pit. <laughs> yeah, sure, 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 sure. Uh, all right, thanks very much for listening, guys. Much appreciated. Hope you've enjoyed that. It was a little bit of fun. I'm sure we'll do the same thing with a different genre of music. and Because you know I love the one it wonders. You know I love it. Um... Anyway, uh, see you next week. By the way, go over to patreon.com forward slash truecoppop and sign up for all of our exclusive stuff over there. We'll be back in a week's time. Cheerio. I think in a week's time, I'm going to be previewing all the festivals. All the festivals. That'd be a laugh, wouldn't it? So uh, come on back over next week. See you later.